tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number, won't cost you to make a call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show, it's Budget Day, of course, and uh, Ali will share what we know so far. As the situation escalates in Gaza, we speak to one temporary man who is just back from the region. Today is World Mental Health Day, and I'll be joined by psychologist Leisha McGrath. We have colour psychology with uh, Karen Prendergast, our interior designer, and our agony aunt, uh, Phil, will answer some of your dilemmas. Uh, We have legal matters as well with Solicitor John Lynch. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text and WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Another lovely prize for you today in association with the good friends at Mr. Mr. In Care because they're holding their clearance sale at Kilcoran Lodge Hotel. It starts this coming Thursday, the 12th, and runs right through until uh, this coming Sunday, the 15th of October. We have a €100 Euro voucher to give away, and that is based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. And if you want to put uh, Mr. Mr. at the end of your contribution, we'll pop you in the draw. It's as simple as that, but they have all sorts of goodies there. Uh, for their clearance a sale. You'll pick up some great bargains. There's blazers and jackets and coats and shirts and knitwear and polos and T-shirts, all sorts of stuff there in the clearance sale from Thursday until October at the lovely Kilcorn Lodge Hotel. Um, 083 Let's have a look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today to the Irish Independent, first of all, and right across the newspapers today. Much speculation about the budget. The Indo, um, their headline, workers €800 Euro better off after USC cut tax tweaks in the budget. Um, many photographs across the newspapers today uh, of, um, uh, you know, civilians in uh, Gaza. And I'm just looking at this horrific uh, uh, image on the front. Uh, just a poor child. She looks so, so distraught along with her mother and people have fled their homes in the Gaza Strip as airstrikes rained down on civilians and uh, the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, said that his country had only started a fierce offensive in response to the Hamas attack to the Irish Examiner. And again, it's dominated by a photograph from Gaza where a rescuer is pulling the remains of a little girl from the rubble after Israeli airstrikes in Gaza uh, yesterday. And they're telling us on the, uh, uh, the Examiner that Israel has declared Gaza under complete siege uh, with water, power and food cut off as Hamas uh, threatened to begin executing more than 100 hostages it captured over the weekend. Also again, speculation on uh, the budget on the front of the examiner. Seemingly small and medium-sized businesses will receive a lump sum payment of up to €10,000 as part of today's budget, which aims to give something to everybody. The Irish Times. And again, a photograph of, uh, you know, people under extreme pressure um, in Gaza. An injured child is carried into a hospital in uh, Gaza City yesterday after those uh, retaliatory 
airstrikes uh, from uh, Israel. And uh, the Irish Times telling us uh, that the Israeli Prime Minister uh, saying that Israel is fighting for its very existence and it called on opposition parties to join an emergency national unity government there. And uh, the Irish Times, uh, the aspect they choose from uh, the budget is mortgage tax relief of €1,250 set for today's uh, budget. Also, um, right across the newspapers today, news that the Irish-American entrepreneur um, Chuck Feeney, whose uh, philanthropy provided nearly two billion in funding to Irish causes over the years, has died at the age of 92, and he certainly was a great friend to Ireland uh, over the years. And his own life story, of course, is a, an amazing one. And just finally, a look at the Irish Daily Mail and uh, their uh, lead story. Hamas leaders threatened last night to execute uh, the civilian hostages if Israel continues its airstrikes against uh, Gaza. So that's a look at what's making headlines today. If you want to make comment on any of that, 83 311 Now, we spoke to Margaret and Anne yesterday about road conditions and unsafe uh, driving. Sadie was in touch uh, to share her recent experience of driving, and she joins me now. Sadie, good morning to you. Hi, Fran. Good morning. Uh, good to talk to you today. Will you, you tell Thank me you. what you witnessed on the road over the last couple of days? Uh, oh, Sadie. no, if, Fran, you'd have to dedicate the whole... Uh, Two hours to it. Um, on that, Sunday, that bad, was, right, That yeah, bad. Very bad, yeah, wow. yeah. yeah. First of all, I live on a fairly narrow road and I live on a bend. And sometimes it's just... I'm sitting at my table looking out at it and it's frightening to see um, the speed and the carelessness and people on tractors and what have you on phones and oil lorries or whatever. Even yesterday as I was speaking to Emma on the phone... Um, a, a big van passed and the guy on the mobile. And now you're going into a bend. Okay. But on Sunday, I was going to Clanmail and um, at three different occasions where there was a continued white line or else that, um, you know, the, where they say not to pass, mm. um, things passed me. Two motorbikes in, in particular, they, they literally frightened me. Now, I'm gone to the stage and I don't mind saying this, that I, I say a prayer every day before I leave the house. It's gone that bad. Now, I know I'm in my mid-70s and all that, but I, the speed on the road is horrendous. And I think those speed vans are have no effect. People know where they are. Um, it's more guardy we went out on the roads. And, Sadie, and is, is it worse than it's ever been? It's worse than it's ever been. I'd say that without any reservation. Yeah. It's much worse. And what, and I what think is, speed is what the biggest is, thing. What is pushing this along and making this worse, do you think? What is? I don't know. Everybody in a hurry yeah. or lack of education, maybe, on younger drivers. I'm not blaming all younger drivers. Um, there used to be a time when we talked about uh, boy racers, mm. but now you could in girl, include girl racers. Is, I that, don't is know. that what I know you're seeing on the roads, Sadie? You're oh, seeing absolutely. girls as well, yeah? Yeah, and I just don't think they realise the weapon that they have in their hand when they're driving. Now, I know this is coming from an old age pensioner and all the rest of it, but we still have to go out on the road every of day. Of course, yes. And when I have my grandchildren in the car, it's just... And then you find yourself going slow and then you're putting the people behind you, they're frustrated at it, and it's it's just a no-win. It's, it's horrific. I hate it, really. Now, I hate driving, and I used to love it. And can I ask you what area of the county you're in, Sadie? Uh, Carrickenshore, just Carrick between... Fahin and Carrick and Shore, yeah. Right, so you. I live on a circuit that used to be the the Fahin Fifty circuit. 
Right, the race circuit there years ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and people seem so. to be treating it as if it's a race circuit as well. Oh, at, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, that's for sure, yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable, like it really is. I'd say if I could go out and take numbers and look at it and take speed limits, my God, it's broken every day of the week. And, and I really think the only thing is more guardy. Is, is that what it is, as far as you're concerned? Well, more, I more really think yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, even if they, they get you on, in a speed limit, a friend of mine recently was, now in, not in Tipperary, but in Kilkenny, mm. was driving through um, a 30-mile zone or 50, what is now, and was fined for doing 52 kilometres in it. Was that one, was one of the go-safe vans? Was yeah, it, was, yeah. Okay. That's crazy, like... Yeah. Um, I think they should be out getting the fellas doing 90 and 100 on an 80. And they shouldn't even be 80. Some of them, I think they should be about 50, 60. And what did you think, Sadie, of the government's reaction to the carnage on the roads over the last few months in particular, where they, they decided that they're going to drop the speed limits, for example? Will that have any effect if it's not policed? Well, that's it. If it's not pleased, you know, what's the point? And I don't know, is it how many million did they put into more vans? They yes. might as well be putting... Well, I think one and a half million they were going to, extra yeah. they were going to spend. Yeah. yeah. I think it's crazy. Yeah. Like, they're just sitting there and I don't... And people, of course, if you're coming up to where there's a van, people will flash you and then you're going to slow down and it's just... And do you think no. they're not effective at all, Sadie? I think they're absolutely useless. Yeah. And they'll get you for, as I said, for doing 52 in a 50, which is not major. But when somebody passes you on a continuous white line, and I would have been doing 80, I'd never, ever, rarely go above 80. Mm. Um, and they passed me going up a hill on a continuous white line. And uh, there was a recent fatality um, outside Kilsheelan recently, and I couldn't believe it. Coming up to that, a bus passed me. So people don't learn any lessons. Any lesson. They just don't learn lessons. And, like, what do you have to do to make them? And they're not all young people. And, you know, they're not all young people at all. Yes. Well, I I love cars, Sadie, and I'm no angel. But to be honest with you, what I see in the mornings in particular is absolutely crazy. I mean, it's... It's totally crazy. I mean, it's frightening. Yeah. And you can be doing your own nice 80 or whatever, but some lunatic comes around the bend or... You know, um, and I don't know, like they say, one of the rules of the road I learned years ago was to anticipate the unexpected. Absolutely. They don't anticipate the unexpected. And another thing I find, and I have a particular bend coming out from Carrick and Shore, people walking with buggies on, say, my side of the road. They're on the right side for walking, but they're walking on a bend, maybe two abreast and buggies. Now, I know I, I try to anticipate that they are coming and I move out slowly. But sure, people, younger people or even anybody that wouldn't realise we have to anticipate the unexpected. And if there's a car coming against you, it's the people in the buggies are going to get it, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, some some of our listeners making the point as well that things have disimproved considerably since COVID, Sadie, for example. Do you, do you go yeah. along with that? Well, I just see it this, um, getting worse every every time I'm on the road, I, I see things. Mm. That's why I think if the Gardaí were out there, if I can see them, surely they can see them. Yeah, but you know, course, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. They're, they're resources, though. You know, oh, well, this is it, yeah, yeah. 
really depleted. Well, I think they're yeah. going to do something in the budget today for the trainee guards. I hope they do. I think so. I think there's a few more, Bob, going for, for Gardaí who are, yeah. are are training. And and they're talking about recruiting more as well. But most people, well, most people, I don't know, but an awful lot of people don't want the job as a Garda because there's too much grief, too much hassle and not enough money. Well, I, yes, I agree with you there, yeah. But something will have to be done. They'll have to make it worth their while and look after them. Yeah. You also had um, some, some thoughts on, on, on the country music um, oh, Late Late absolutely. special as well. What, what are your thoughts on that, Sadie? Well, now, to be honest, I didn't watch the Late Late show. Uh, I watched it the first night, yeah. and for some unknown reason, I just can't warm to Patrick Keelty. So that kind of puts me off. Now, I, just, just, say, just, just say that to me again, uh, Sadie. Sorry, somebody was talking to me in my head. I, think, I, I think he's just more for, he's a comedian. Yes. And I don't think he slots into the late, late. Now, Ryan Turbody and myself, like we never, I never had any great draw there either. Did you not? But no. Yeah. Not, I had nothing against him. I actually, I prefer listening to him than looking at him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I just think, even when I heard um, Claire Byrne was taken over the late, late, or thought there was talk of it, um, I thought she'd be not the right person either because she'd be more into the news and current She'd be serious, I suppose, yeah. Serious, yeah, yeah. 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 But I think Patrick Keelty's gone the opposite way. Now, having listened to your guy yesterday morning who watched it twice. Mm, Patrick, since, yeah. Yes, maybe if I had done that, I might have a different <laughs> view. <laughs> but I didn't. But, but you're not a big, I guess if you didn't sit down to watch it on Friday night, you're not a big fan of country music anyway, are you? Oh, no, I love country oh, music. Oh, do you? All right, OK. I love country music. That's what I'm saying. That I think the thing about country music, I think a lot of it is snobbery. Yes. And what what did you mean by that exactly, Sadie? Do people look down on, on that genre? I think so, yes, yes, yeah. yes, yeah. I I mean, I like country music. I like a bit of classical music. I wouldn't know all of them. Mm. Um, and I even like a bit of jazz. And I like Iron Maiden on one or two songs because it was <laughs> Very that sung into me when I, when I was rearing my children. But, yeah, um, yeah. you know, I like all music, but yeah. I particularly like country music. But I do think there's a snobbish attitude towards it. Now it's great to see all the young people, maybe that'll change again. Mm. And that's why I think and I gathered that Patrick Keelty hadn't too many newcomers. Yeah. Um, and that that was part of the critique about it all, right? Uh, you know, that it yeah. was the same old, same old in, in, in some cases. But then again, yeah. I mean, who he had on were some of the big stars of country music. I mean, you can't avoid that either. Even though some people were giving out that Daniel wasn't on it. Um, so you can't please because everybody. We've seen nearly enough of Daniel, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> Even though I like Daniel, but yeah, you know, yeah. I I would agree. Um, that O'Hagan girl, and there's a lot of lovely young singers yeah, coming on. Yeah, yeah. So, she, but I, I will make an effort next week and watch the late late. Yeah, for my money, I think she's fantastic, Cleona. Yes, yeah, I think she's lovely. Really lovely. Talent, now, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be um, able to pick up a lot on music, but I know mm. what I like. Yeah, and I, but I, I sincerely love country music. Very good, okay. But you you don't think Keelty is is the man really, do you? No, I don't. Yeah. I I I, I really don't I just don't think mm. he is. Um he's a bit too flippant about things. Now as I said I haven't watched so maybe I should do what Patrick did and watch it all again, but um yeah. even has he had anything very serious on? Well he had a couple of things on, but he was criticized particularly the Tony Holohan uh, interview. 
uh, that yeah. people said that he was a bit sort of fluffy on it and he didn't ask him some of the hard questions about cervical yes. check and, yeah. and, uh, yeah. like, and the same with the boxer yeah. and his ties to organised crime and stuff. And so, I, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting one. And Sadie, it was lovely to talk to you, but do be safe on the road anyway, Sadie, won't you? Please, God. All right. All right. Okay, Lovely friend. to talk Thanks. to you today, Thanks Sadie. Thank call. you. God Thank bless. you. Bye-bye. 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 One of our listeners says you need a speed ban on a van on every single road, and that's just not going to work. People are not driving um, the car. It seems that the car is driving them, says one of our listeners. Uh, and Marie says, Fran, that lady is right about speeding. You should try walking on the Haywood Road in Clonmel. It's absolutely crazy. You just would not feel safe. Um, somebody else saying two weeks ago... Um, a guy passed me on the road near Faheen doing at least double the speed limit. And Joe says, driving between Cashel and Dundrum this morning, uh, I met several cars on almost two wheels. Two of these cars are on this road daily and they do about uh, 2k short of losing control. Changing speed limits won't slow these morons. Um, enforcement is the only thing. Uh, if you do speed a limit... In Naka Villa, you will be overtaken. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a very good point, actually. Because that's a long stretch there right through Naka Villa. And I agree with you. If you try and stay at the speed limit coming through Naka Villa, they will all pass you. They do it to me every single morning. And Joe goes on to say, then we have people who crawl and won't even overtake a tractor, um, causing huge tailbacks and forcing dangerous overtaking there as well. That's in from Joe. 1800-938-007. Now, community activist Tommy Barrett was in touch with us about ongoing congestion in Thurless Town, and uh, he joins me now. Tommy, good morning to you. Morning, friend. We've certainly heard an awful lot from listeners about this. It appears it's it's even worse there in recent times, Tommy. It is, friend. But I start on a positive, friend, just by saying that... Um achieved 320 marks in the Tidy Towns competition last Friday. Mm-hmm. And um, as, as Secretary of Tidy Towns, I was delighted to receive that and just to thank the council for their input into the application form. We, we put in an application form of over 30 pages. Yes. And uh, it was very detailed. Well, well and, and is that up considerably from last time round, the marks? The toilets didn't enter Tidy Towns in 2021. Ah, okay. And from the last six years, we're kind of sitting around 300, 320 but they were they were very complimentary, especially of the new square and the new lighting and all that, you know, and uh, the river walk and, and things like that. So overall, it was very okay, well, positive. Well done where that is concerned. So your article um, in the newspaper then, um, you, you're saying the town is choked up with, with lorries, it's chock-a-block, uh, Tommy, still like that? That's right, Francis. So one of the major things, Turles has lots of benefits, one of the major things we just can't seem to get right over the years is traffic congestion. And I suppose one of the big streets that we'll always hear about is Parnell Street. Yeah. And that's uh, so what we'll always throw it out there. What can we do? And I suppose I'm not an engineer, I'm not an expert, but I'm maybe giving my opinion and as someone who drives the town every day and, and walks it as well, um, we're seeing a major issue. And about two weeks ago, parking was restricted on Parnell Street. There was no parking for, for some reason. And you see how, how easy the, the street flowed and that, that had an impact on, on the square, you know. So mm. I, I think it would be really interesting if, if the well, council... Did they not try one-way system on Parnell Street over the years, Tommy? They did, but what, I, what I'm saying, Fran, if we try to restrict parking during the day on, on Parnell Street, at, at, at the moment, um, you, you can't have a two-way traffic um, with, with the cars that are parked there. So what, what's happening is you have big HGVs and they're mounting the curve going up on, onto the footpath yeah. where children yeah. are walking to school. And that's the major dis- uh, issue, the potential 
for, for, for danger or potential for, for a hazard. And we hear lots about these risk assessments and things that could happen. And this is a major issue that I would have with, with Parnell Street, that you, you, you don't have a free flow of traffic and it, it really is con- contributing to the, the traffic congestion in, in the whole town, you know. But if memory serves me correctly, Tommy, maybe you might contradict me on this, but I thought the businesses were against restricting the, the parking on Parnell Street, were they not? Well, I, I, think, I think some are, friends. Um, but I know over the years there was petitions signed and I think overall the majority of people in Turles are very much um, for this. And I know from, from my article which was published on the Star last week, I couldn't get over the amount of people who stopped me um, uptown on Saturday and Sunday, friend, and, and complimented me on this and, and spoke about, you know, the, their issues and concerns about Parnell Street. And um, I, I would say from speaking to a lot of business people, they, they do understand the, these issues that are going on and, and would be in favour of some sort of change or for this to be looked at again, friends, just to be reassessed mm. and see what we come back with now in 2023 uh, for engineers to have a look at it and have to put this discussion back on the table is what, what I'm talking about. Right, but a bypass, a relief road is the only real answer, is it not? Because you're always going to have that bridge uh, up at the Source Theatre there and that in itself will always be a bottleneck of some kind, I suppose, Tommy. Of course, and I suppose you said there that the, the relief road, I suppose, the bypass is one issue that at the moment we're hearing it's not on the National Development Plan yeah. 2040. Um, the relief road, friend, I'm always asking issues about that. Like I got Maddie McGrath to ask a, a, a parliamentary question to Minister for Transport, Eamon Ryan, this year. and The, the answer he came back with was that 75,000 have been given to Tipperary County Council this year to progress the detailed plans for this road. So... I, I myself as someone who kind of keeps in, keeps in touch with what's going on around the town and I'm interested in it, I'm not fully sure has all that land been acquired for that road and when should we see this road in use? They're, they're kind of questions I'd be very interested in hearing the answers for. Has all the land been acquired and when can we... Because as you said, friend, that's the first thing. That's the first phase, this relief road from Clongower to the Mill Road, which will have some sort of re- relief. But of course, the major thing is, is a bypass. But there are there are targets now that can there are works that can be done to to relieve the traffic I think the relief road is massive and we need to see progress on and, and on have it. you put in a question Tommy about uh, that land being acquired have you have you questioned that I have and I had I had it, I had it on my my article and um from my under, under from my understanding is I'm not particularly sure if all of it ha- has been acquired um I know in recent weeks there was an article on the start that it's moving to, towards the final stages of it but it, it, it's how slow this is, and it's quite—it's frustrating for people, you know. Mm. Um, we saw with the new little going in there, that was the start of the, the road, but it, it's very, very slow, and I think um, we need to see more more progress on it. Yeah, and we had a couple of calls uh, last week. I don't know, was there something in particular going on last week? But, I mean, particularly in the mornings, seemingly, the town was... Uh, some drivers had to get out of their cars and walk, walk kids to school because they, they'd be late, you know, so... That's right, and I said, I'm going to Clare every morning, and I'll just go to Mill Road. Yeah. I, won't, I won't go through the town, and I'll come back to Mill Road, because you, you know you're going to get caught. Friday evening, I had to go back into town, so I go to Mill Road, and I went up by Clongower and up Butler Avenue. And Butler Avenue, the, the, the traffic was right down to Dennis Canans Motors. I mean, we, we have to look at something here, friend. We, we can't just keep turning up a blind eye and, and continue the way we are. That, that's what I'm kind of saying, like, you know. Yeah. Um, we, we have five councillors and two TDs, and it, it is an issue. And we need to try and look at solutions. And I, I don't have all the answers, Fran. I'm not an expert, but I'm, I'm throwing out certain things that I see. Like, for example, 
out by Jew Valley, the no street lights out by Jew Valley, the biggest employer in Turles. Mm. The street lights stop there, there in the Clusha. Yet you have people walking out in the dark out there to Jew Valley. You know, so these different things that I'm throwing out there. Now, one big thing is um, traffic camming at Aldi and the Dublin Road, the N75. Mm. I have been on to the council about that, and there is works in the pipeline there in quarter three or four next year. They're going to put in, um, they're going to widen the, exist, the existing traffic island, and they're going to put in raised tabletops at Mona Kiba and the entrance to Aldi to again to, to slow traffic down mm. there as, as traffic calming mechanisms and on the gateway into town coming off the 100 kilometre zone. Right, but again, we're talking about a year down down the line here, Tommy, are we? We are, Sam, but yeah. from, from, I, I think it's positive. They have a, there's a plan in place for this and okay. at least it's not just saying that there's nothing going to happen and I suppose from talking to the roads people of Tipperary County Council, there's a plan there for, for Kicking Street and the entrance into town to slow traffic down and it's a very comprehensive plan and I'm looking forward to seeing it. But as you said, Fran, I've been told quarter three or four for this so hopefully... We, we get targets and then they're not met and that's what frustrates people. All right. All right, Tommy. Well, always good to talk to you. Several listeners in on this. I'll just bring you one of them, Tommy. It says uh, it was Roadworks a couple of weeks ago uh, that had Parnell Street as a one-way system for a day in restricted parking as well. I flew up and down the road. Parnell Street is crazy. I actually don't know how people even uh, park the cars there when it's highly likely that you will be hit, mm. in fact. So uh, that's, in fairness, there, there's truth in that, Tommy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't park my car on it anyway, Frank, yeah. definitely not. Yeah, all right. Tommy, good to talk to you today, and thanks for highlighting that. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Tommy Barrett there, of course, community activist in Thurles. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Now, as you're well aware at this point, uh, Israelis woke on the last day of the Jewish high holidays to the wail of sirens as Hamas and Islamic Jihad uh, fired thousands of rockets from Gaza and armed militants broke down the high-tech barrier surrounding the Gaza Strip to enter Israel, shooting and taking hostages. Now, the latest on this is that Israel has retaken control of the Gaza border fence and is planting mines in the parts where the barrier was toppled. Now, there's photographs all over the newspapers today that are very, very unfortunate indeed, where little children, little girls, in fact, pictured all over the newspapers today, um, looking terrified and indeed in one case as well, a little girl being pulled from the rubble. Uh, Sinn Féin activist and a member of the Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign, Dean McGrath, is just back from a trip to Palestine and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Dean. Good morning, friend. How are you? And good morning I'm, to your listeners. I'm very well indeed. You're, you're back a relatively short time, aren't you? Yeah, well, I, I suppose I was there uh, for in September and I would have arrived back in Ireland after going to uh, some other countries last week. So, yeah, it's all very real for me now. Um, mm. It's all very real in terms of what I... We went, um, myself and my partner, we went to the Occupied West Bank um, after I had been there. Obviously, I was I was uh, in Wichita the last time. Yes. Um, and I visited uh, human right, the human rights organisations, met friends of mine, you know, um, talked to people about the situation there. We also did touristy things that I mightn't have gotten to do the first time. And again, the hospitality I was treated with by the Palestinian uh, people uh, when I was there was immense. So to hear, I suppose, this news, um, yeah, it's 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 heartbreaking for me personally. You know, 
any loss of life, particularly where innocent people are concerned, is absolutely atrocious. What what happened in Israel, I'm sure most right-thinking uh, people would be horrified by. Uh, but uh, it's a strange thing to say, but if we leave that aside just for a moment, what do you make of the rhetoric sense? What are you making of what's being said globally? It, it, it's horrendous, and actually I, I think it's a global de- dehumanisation of Palestinians um, in many ways because you can the, the I suppose the crux of it is Palestine has been under an illegal Israeli occupation for 75 years people have faced ethnic cleansing mass murder a blockade for 15 years in Gaza they've seen their lands taken from them especially in the West Bank their land has been fragmented so that's all the context here that context is completely lost in a lot of the media reporting we're having. And it's absolutely heartbreaking to see civilians on whatever side that might be of the green line, killed, taken hostage, whatever the case may be. Again, we have to apply international law equally. But the condemnation that has been reigned on the entire populace of Palestine, from the EU, from the Americans... Again, the state of Israel has described, and the defence minister, Gallant, has described the Palestinians as human animals. There has to be a better way, and the way that we get around this is by going to the UN Charter and applying international law equally. It's about ending the illegal occupation and fragmentation of Palestinian land, and it's about ending the apartheid system. People are talking about the amount of hostages that Hamas have taken, and it's heartbreaking. Obviously, civilians being taken hostages is against the rules of law. But also, the occupier, Israel, has, under international law, has full, absolutely full um, responsibility to keep civilians safe in terms of their occupation. What we have seen, and what the Palestinian people have seen for 75 years, civilians being killed by the likes of Israeli airstrikes. And I have some of the stats, Fran. I hope you don't mind me just throwing it out Mm. there. That the human cost... I'll go back to 2008, and there's been multiple bombardments of Gaza since. Palestinians accounted for 6,407 deaths from 2008 to 2023, prior to this latest latest round of aggression and hostilities. There was 152,000 Palestinians injured. The Israeli deaths in the same time was 308 people with 6,000 injured. And I don't want to see anybody dying. Yes, and one death is yeah. one too many. One, but, but, I don't want yeah. to see anybody dying. Yeah. But let's give the actual context here, that this is on, occurring under the context of an illegal occupation, and this violence is absolutely horrendous. And the reason that this level of violence is occurring because of the silence of the international mm. community, because they have given the message to ordinary Palestinians that their lives matter less than, there is, than the Israelis that live on the other side right. of the besieged and, wall. And tell me about that. And of course, it's also important to point out, Dean, I'm sure you'll agree, that not all Palestinians are Hamas. But you can understand why people might be attracted to Hamas yes. because of the situation. Is that is that what you're saying? To the me? vacuum. And I, 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 let me put it on. I'm a secularist. I wouldn't do well as a lefty socialist with Hamas. But... If you deprive, as I would have said before, if you leave a political vacuum, the leadership from the Palestinian Authority has been blocked at every level. 
people feel totally disenchanted with it. They feel like the political process has not worked because since a political settlement was reached 30 years ago, Israel has not complied with dismantling any illegal settlements. In case, in, in actual fact, they've expanded the illegal settlements and they haven't ended the occupation. So when there's a total vacuum, when people living under apartheid, they're drawn into extremist groups, they're drawn into fundamentalist groups, they're drawn into any militant group, and armed struggle then becomes the only way because politics isn't working. And again, I'm not, I'm not here to say that I, I'm an complete expert on what's happening here but from my lived experiences from the people that I met from the things that I have seen the oppression was palpable and while most people reacted in total surprise I was very surprised about the level of what of what mm. happened but they've been we've been warning about this for years friend but but help me to understand this because I I just don't get it at all Hamas must have known that the retaliation would have been just mm. devastating, and it looks certainly to be that way certainly. now. Yeah. Um, so why, why, why do it? I mean, why? I, we had and look from from my point of view, I can tell you from my learned experience, and from the people that I know and people from Gaza, people are saying we're dying anyway. We're ninety-seven percent of drinking water in Gaza is undrinkable. Fifty-six percent of people are living in poverty. Sixty-four percent of the youth are unemployed. 80% are reliant on international aid, which the EU threatened to pull yesterday. 70% of the people in Gaza are refugees. They're di- they, they've been bombarded with airstrikes. They've been bombarded with a besieged... 2.2 million people can't get in or out of the Gaza, Gaza Strip. So there's little to live for, what, and, and they see a glory in, in dying then. Is that, it, is that it, there as well? I, th- I, think, I think in terms of, I suppose, fundamentalism, what you'll say is people will say, we're going to go out and blood sacrifice. Well, you, you will get that, certainly, and you, so there will be some of that there. But also you'll see Palestinians saying, we will die fighting this occupation. And at a certain point, any resistance, any yes. call to resistance becomes more attractive than living in subjugation under occupation. Right. Can we just repeat what we said at the very top yeah. because people are texting us in. No no life should be lost. No life I mean, should be and, lost. And any life that is lost from either side is absolutely horrendous and awful. Let's make that yes. quite clear. We're, we're putting things in perspective in, today. Absolutely that's in perspective. That's what we're talking about. Is it fair to say that the Irish government by comparison to other governments, I, I mean, they, they deserve a bit of a tap on the back for how they've done Now, I know it's measured. Yeah, it was measured. Subtled, but, but still... It, mean, it, was, it was progressive in the context of, I suppose, what the likes of Ursula von der Leyen would have said that would have given carte blanche to the occupation forces, you yes. know? And just in case anybody is um, querying my position or your position or anyone's position, I fundamentally believe that we need a ceasefire. I believe that we need international law applied equally on both sides. And I think we need the UN to go in there and the international community to get behind an actual constructive peace. And in fairness, Michal Martin came out pretty much straight away and said that, that that needed to happen. But there were very few other voices talking peace. Certainly. And what what I see in the coverage is more people are concerned about condemning Palestinians, condemn, 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 as if the condemnations over the past 75 years have done anything to achieve peace. And really we have to see for ourselves that the peace process here needs international... It's like, look, would there have been a peace process 
in the north if people hadn't negotiated and the international community hadn't rocked in behind those negotiations I would say that there probably would not have been this is what we need to have happened here there was a peace agreement signed the peace agreement has been disrespected every single day since it was signed the Palestinians continue to live in subjugation but any killing of civilians any killing of civilians is a war crime killing of civilians cannot be justified by anybody and nobody should try to attempt that Talk to me a little bit about Netanyahu and his particular government I mean right wing to say the least Yes Yeah. And, yes. and what about that I mean that naturally would make him hawkish anyway I suppose wouldn't it? 100% and I suppose let's look at it when I was uh, like Smotrich is, the, is, is another Knesset member and he said that the village of Huara which is in the uh, northern West Bank should be wiped off the map not by uh, settlers taking it into their own hands or they, he said it should be wiped off the map by the IDF, by the Israeli Defence Forces. We have the, we have the Minister for Defence calling people human animals, depriving them of food, water, electricity. There's hospitals that are being deprived when their generators run out, what's going to happen? Do they think that this is going to work? Has this ever worked before? Do they think that this is going to end the conflict? Do they think that the, that the total destruction of the civilian population of Gaza is going to somehow finish this entire occupation for them? It won't. It really, really won't. We need a peace agreement. We need the UN Charter to be applied equally. And the failure of the international community has been not to act under international law. And for the occupation forces of Israel, they haven't been sanctioned by, by international law. We've, we heard Biden come out and said, we always have Israel's back, regardless. Mm. You can. How can we have a peace agreement if there isn't neutral parties in there that just want to mediate that peace? There is no solution here that will go well for the Palestinians based on what mm. happened. I know that. I think part of the problem, Dean, not to be patronising to people, but it's very complex, Sure. What, what, what's happening out yeah. there and maybe with a lack of understanding of it, of course you jump to a conclusion that what happened was absolutely atrocious, there were, particularly with the young people at the at the music event I mean, uh, for 100%. God's sake, what, what happened there was just yeah. I mean, uh, beyond the beyond wh- 100% and what you're dealing with, and this is the thing that people are very emotional and they're hearing, and of course they are, how could you not be when you're seeing those pictures? Yes. And you heard the Irish the Irish woman speaking yeah, ab- about absolutely. her daughter being uh, abducted. A- and, absolutely, you know, horrendous yeah. But also, let's put this into context as well. The Palestinian people have suffered this with very little media attention. I've, there's been thousands of Palestinians, as I said, six, six and a half thousand Palestinian deaths since 2008. You know what I mean? Like the Palestinian people have suffered a horrendous occupation and the silence from the international community is just as complicit in all of this as everything else. We need a genuine peace process, we need a genuine ceasefire, we need to end the occupation and end the apartheid system that keeps Palestinians living in subjugation. What does it say about the Israeli intelligence um, systems? And, I mean, often recognised as some of the very, very best in the world. Yes. How did this happen? Uh, I, I, speaking on my own behalf, I thought that, that was, what happened was impossible. I, when, I, when I was in the West Bank um, recently... Um, again, there was an intensica- intensification in kind of uh, settler violence. There was, I, I suppose, plans for 6,300 more homes in the occupied West Bank taken Palestinian land. Um, it, it just felt so tense and everything. But in the West Bank, I genuinely feel like it's like you can't move, you know. 
So for me to even think that this was possible in Gaza, that is under total besiegement. Like, I can't go to Gaza if I want to, unless I'm on an aid mission or get special permissions through the UN and probably won't be allowed in. I, I couldn't see that it was conceivable. I genuinely didn't think that it was possible. Because mm. my understanding was that Hamas was infiltrated yeah. by Israeli intelligence I, I, and, you know... Yeah. And, and, and look, as I said, I'm no expert on uh, the intelligence services there. there. I, I genuinely can't believe that what happened happened I, I, it, it, but at the same time I mean that in from a security point of view but then you're asking me am I surprised that something like this happened in the context no because they've been warning of it actually the um, the Palestinian envoy to the UN warned that there will be a dramatic escalation and he's from the Palestinian Authority side and again no friend of Hamas but he said the way things are going the desecration of holy sites both Christian and um, we saw horrific videos of um fundamentalist settlers yes. spitting on Christian worshippers yeah. and I suppose Muslim worshippers being beaten by guards in, in the Alaska mosque in Jerusalem like there was it was a, we all felt it was something was going to come but am I surprised at the sheer uh, I, I, I don't know about the yes. magnitude of what happened yes I am and in terms of the triggering of, of this I mean the moves by Netanyahu to sort of ingratiate himself with other Arab states I'm thinking particularly yeah. of Saudi Arabia uh, and, for example what, did that play a part in this? I think I think that especially Saudi Arabia a lot of Palestinians felt like their traditional allies which were other um, Arabic states yes were normalising ties and as such with, with the state of Israel which was actually normalising the occupation because since 1967 the resolutions are there that you know comp uh, compels in, via the UN Israel to withdraw from Palestinian land so they've been going on and facing this so they felt like and I, I don't know that it have an impact it, it, it probably did but I was very surprised to see it as well you know um, mm. I, I just think that in terms of uh, the hypocrisy of it and then look I, I, I get, I'll get the usual kind of stuff and saying that um, and a lot of people, as Palestinian people, made the point to me when I was there, um, and this is coming from Palestinians, that the West, I suppose, the West views um, uh, the illegal occupation of Ukrainian land and Ukrainian right to resist as fundamental and the supplying the Ukrainians with copious amount of military hardware and weapons. That's the EU, that's the US. And they're saying, we're under occupation, we've been under occupation for 75 years. Why are we terrorists? Why are we subjugated? Why don't our lives matter as much? Is it because we're brown? Is it because we're Arab? What is it? And I, me, I'm at pains to say, well, to me, I said every life is precious. Every life is equal. And that, and that I would view an illegal occupation of Ukrainian land the same as I'd view an illegal occupation of Palestinian land. And that's the way that I view it. But they don't feel that from the West. They feel alone. They feel cut off. And can you blame them really when you look at how long this has gone on and the level of violence and the level of increasing violence that happened? The PLO laid down its arms almost 30 years ago. The Palestinian land has, has been decimated in the West Bank through illegal settlements, illegal under international law, and, and recognises de facto annexation by the Irish government. Yet, what action has anybody actually taken against the Israeli occupation? What action economically via sanctions, via boycott, via the Occupied Territory Bill. What have we done? What have Ireland done? We've made great statements. We've been a, vo a friend for Palestine at the EU in many cases, of course we have. Mm. But what action has happened? I, th I think part of it is um, that if, if you're anti-Israel or critiquing Israel, you seem to be anti-Semitic. Yeah. And that's very a very powerful of label. Of course it is. That's okay. a very powerful label. Uh, of course it is. And and like uh, the first thing that most Palestinians um that I that I've certainly met will tell you 
is that they don't have anything against Jewish people whatsoever. Well, Hamas does. They, they, again, know. that's the Palestinians I was talking to. Hamas, yeah. no, certainly. Yes. But the people that I was talking to, what they want is, and again, I suppose they would have been more from a left-wing persuasion in the West Bank. Um, most people I've talked to don't have anything against, but it's the occupation. And then what happens is people start to conflate the occupation with Jews and start hating Jews because of the occupation. And that's horrendous. Anti-Semitism is a vile, toxic ideology. The Jewish people suffered horrendously. And when I went to, um, after we were in Palestine, uh, I went to Albania and I went to Serbia and there was monuments for, you know, the, the, the Jews that were shipped off to concentration camps yes. and murdered yeah. and, the, and the Holocaust is, an, is this abominable thing and denial of such is an abominable thing it's horrendous but let's look at this the, hol- the Holocaust what happened that absolutely nobody can dispute that what's happening now is more to do with an occup- is more to do with the Israeli occupation and illegal occupation of Palestinian lands than it is for Jews, than it is for hating Jews. Do you know what I find particularly sad is that I'm old enough to remember in the 1990s the great hope for Palestine. Mm. I mean, you know, there was 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 progress happening there. There yeah. was a possibility of building up tourism there. Businesses were flocking there. It was yeah. going to be seen as the Singapore yeah. of, of the Middle East, and and it just all went. When, it did. When pear-shaped, you know? As I said, in terms of... But, of the, course, there was some pr- corruption there, involved of course. In, in, in the government at the time, uh, and, and that played part. Uh, of course it did. And I suppose, like, what, what we're looking at is the main part and the main issue is that when this peace agreement was signed, so the, so they were... So the PLO laid down their arms. They committed to a political means to achieve it. Um, the agreement was that uh, Israel would end its occupation and that there would be no further expansion of illegal colonial settlements that are illegal under international law. So those two things didn't happen. What actually happened was the apartheid system became worse. What happened was that the ex- settlements increased. The people of Gaza, and people need to understand, 70% of them are refugees out of the Nakba. So around Gaza, people were displaced forcibly by militias in that particular instance, in that displacement of people and were forced into this open-air concentration camp. Were you surprised that your party leader, um, Mary Lou, she she was, well, I, I, I want to choose my words carefully, but, uh, you know, it was a, a vigorous interview on, on national radio yesterday, yeah. and mainly it was pointing out that one of the Sinn Féin TDs had expressed some of the views that you have. It, mm. was, it spoke about a balanced conversation yes. in some way. Uh, were you surprised at that, that there was a gotcha moment? Um, unfortunately not, because people don't want to talk about the issues. People are more interested in about a tweet than we are talking about a last in peace process. Um, so no, I'm not surprised at all. I'm not surprised at all. I think that we need to have a more nuanced debate on this and that, uh, and that we condemn the occupation, we condemn Israeli apartheid, we condemn civilian deaths on both sides of the Green Line, if that's what people want to talk about it. But people want to condemn, it's a different thing, what they're asking people to do is condemn Palestinians en masse. Yeah. Were, you, were you surprised that the UK no <laughs> approach to this? No, uh, no, no. Um, I wasn't. Um, actually, Jeremy Corbyn, um, Jeremy Corbyn came out with a balanced statement condemning the attacks and calling for peace. Um, so, he was naturally vilified as a, yeah. you know, as a as a warmonger. Like, I, I don't want war. I'm anti-war. I come from an anti-war point of view. The only way that we'll end this mm. horrendous situation is by ending the occupation and by actually applying international law equally 
and bought sides. All right. Dean, really good to see you today. And great thank, great thanks, to see you, Frank. Thanks very much indeed for coming into us today. And that's Dean McGrath with us uh, today. And uh, Dean, of course, is a Sinn Féin activist and a member of the Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign. News and information is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. Don't forget we have that €100 Euro voucher for Mr. Mr. Menswear. They're having their clearance sale at Kilcoran Lodge Hotel. It kicks off this Thursday and runs right through until a Sunday. And they've all sorts of goodies there for you. If you're into fashion, they have blazers and jackets and coats and jeans and knitwear and polos and T-shirts, all sorts of stuff there. And they assure us... Uh, bargain uh, basement prices there as well. So €100 Euro voucher to give away, and that's based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. And if you put Mr. Mr. at the end of your contribution, we will pop you in to the draw. Now, today is World Mental Health Day. The overall objective of the day is to raise awareness of mental health issues around the world and to mobilise efforts in support of mental health. The theme of this year's campaign is Mental Health is a Universal Human Right. Malisha McGrath is a chartered work and organisational psychologist and she joins me now. Alicia, good morning to you. Good morning to you. And uh, very good to talk to you today. Um, Before we continue on, the idea of having a World Mental Health Day, is that important? Is that useful? I think it's really useful. I mean, as a psychologist, I might be inclined to argue that every day should be Mental Health Day. But when we have these days that are focused around the world on a particular topic, I think it serves to drive attention to topics that are really worthwhile and and global, topics that are necessary so that we can put in proactive steps to help manage our mental health and to drive our understanding of this really important topic. I have some concerns about the label of mental health issues being tossed around the place an awful lot over the last few years, particularly, I suppose, around the time of COVID, that if people are isolated, isolated, it's assumed they may have a mental health issue, or if people are grieving, it's assumed they have a mental health issue. But mental health issues are completely different to those things, are they not? Well, I would completely agree with you, Fran. I think people who suffered, uh, you know, from being isolated or, as you say, from from life events such as grief, those are healthy responses to tough times. You know, mental health can be a diagnosis of a depression or a schizophrenia. That's more what we mean. But more and more, I hear people saying, oh, I have anxiety, almost Mm. like a badge of honour. Yes, yes. and, and I don't think, and, and certainly many of my peers in clinical, wouldn't think that that's necessarily um, a healthy thing. What's happened is we've sort of normalised feeling anxious. We've normalised that, uh, you know, you need to be part of the gang almost yes, to yeah. have this anxiety. And I would agree with you that that's not necessarily a, handle, a, a, a healthy mm. thing and it's not necessarily a mental health thing. Now, there is data to show that around the world medication for mental health is is uh, oversubscribed sometimes mm. i know we know from mm. from the menopause 
literature that a lot of women that perhaps need hormones have been put on antidepressants because there's a lack of education. But when we have days like today, um, we're able to focus the, the conversation on research and real data. What we need to look at is how we're living our lives day to day, how organizations and employers are, you know, as a duty of care, are providing psychologically safe environments uh, for their staff. And there's a lot more that we can do that really isn't rocket science, does not need to be the domain of psychiatrists or psychologists. And that's why we were intrigued with your work, Leisha, because you work with clients around their business and personal lives as well, which is very interesting. Yeah, so I'm a, a work and organisational psychologist. So what that means is I work in organisations. Uh, so helping organisations design environments, structures, roles um, that support the, the productivity, but also the psychological safety and mental health of their of their employees. And I work with individuals one-to-one -one as well or in teams to help them also uh, create what we call a, you know, a positive culture, positive for, for mental health and for productivity because the two go hand in hand. And we know, um, I don't know if you've seen the, the recent CSO statistics, which were backed up by a recent um, Netwatch piece of research which show that fear and stress are actually the leading concern for a huge number of businesses when they've been asked about criminal activity, which the CSO is showing is on the rise. There's a huge increase, 16 percentage point increase in staff needing uh, time off or leave of absence following um, stressful incidents at work. So we need to be able to support organisations to create the kind of culture that allows staff to feel safe, allows them to rebound from potentially um, you know, stressful situations. And a lot of the work that I do teaches also people on a one-to-one -one basis, and you know, I'm running workshops in the community on this as well, around how do we manage and take responsibility for our own mental health and our own, what I call a, a personal self-connection day-to-day. And like I was saying, it's not necessarily rocket science. We don't all need to be medicated. Mm. Um, you know, we need to do things like gut health, we need to do things like sleep, we know the value of community, relationships, open conversations. We've moved away, when I studied psychology 20 odd years ago initially, we had the medical model of mental health where, you know, people were broken and we were there to fix with medication. Now we have more of a, a focus on positive psychology. What are the things that we can do to, you know, do better at what's going well? So if you have a good relationship, how do you make it better? If your sleep isn't great, how can you make it better? And these all have really real impacts on how much we enjoy life um, and, and, and how we can turn up for each other and, and for our employers. It's very interesting. And what I love uh, about what you're doing as well is that you don't see it as a one-size-fits-all and everybody is an individual and obviously their experience is individual to them. Um, but I, I mentioned it a few times on the programme. I read a book called Cracked. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it was a, sort of, a, a sort of an expose on uh, psychiatry over, mm. over many, many decades indeed. And the main issue with the book is that, you know, psychiatrists fit you into uh, certain categories all of the time. And of course, the human experience isn't that. We're all individuals, you know. And yeah. do, you, do you keep that in mind all of the time, Leisha? 
Yeah, I mean, we would have studied uh, what's called the DSM, which is the, the categories that you speak of. And what happens is they psychiatrists will try and push, you know, people into these categories so that if you're in that box, this is the medication yes. you need. And yeah. you can understand when people are under-resourced, and that was the thinking at the time. But more and more psychiatrists are moving away from that more and more you know there's research that shows that one patient can go and see 10 different psychiatrists and get 10 different diagnoses because as you say one size doesn't fit all now there absolutely are people that require medication mm. you know that's not my domain that is a domain of a clinical psychologist mm. or a psychiatrist and you know they're doing brilliant work but there is a movement you're quite right away from prescribing only a lot of people need you know hormones or they need to you know I teach relationship skills, resilience skills, how to do things like interrupt your thinking if you have 40 thinking patterns. Where are you getting your energy from? Where do you give it? How do you actually keep back some for yourself? How do you have boundaries? And as I say with employers and particularly following this NetWatch and the CSO research, how can we create this psychologically safe environment so that people aren't just, you know, scraping by by their fingernails. They're really able to enjoy life and thrive because much as, you know, the theme of World Mental Health Day is about um, mental health as a human right, I would always say happiness is our birthright and it is in there. Mm. Just unfortunately, the way we're programmed to be so busy and always on, it's very often the recipe for self-disconnection. And what I mean by that is saying yes when you mean no or really feeling exhausted and not going to bed feeling that you should do xyz for somebody else um, and that all contributes to mental health and when we start to have days like today and have a common vocabulary and vernacular for promoting mental health and well-being because when it's not mental health in one bucket and physical health in another bucket and nature in another bucket you know we're all nature we're all one system um, and it's not one size fits all. So there is a huge amount by taking responsibility, starting where we are and having these open conversations. But there are resources out there. And of course, I would encourage anybody who does feel that they're suffering to, to seek professional help. And because you deal with businesses and with employees and like, I'd love your opinion on so-called working from home. I've serious mm. reservations about that, mainly because of the isolation and the lack of camaraderie and all of those kind of things. What about your opinion on that, Leisha? Yeah, I think, again, it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all, but what I am seeing is more organisations are asking people to come in for anchor days and more and more people are come, are volunteering to come back in. What can be happening for people staying at home is that they're trying to do childcare and do the yes, work and yes. do the, you know what I mean, and nobody's missing, you know, nobody's, nobody's winning there. Everybody's missing out uh, because we still only have X number of hours in the day. But there is a huge... Um, you know, the longitudinal research will be very interesting, but there is still a lot already research that we know that shows that innovation, creativity, relationships, on-the-job learning happen when people are in the room together. You can do a certain amount of it um, online, but more and more people are choosing to go back in, at least some of the time. And I think that seems to be, from my experience anyway, and I work with many different industries and organisation sizes, that seems to be a common and recurring theme. So I think it'll be a case of watch this space but I do think people are 
are seeing the benefit of, of getting together more often. And at least when you go into the office or your workplace, you're going in with intention. Um, and it may be the case, I know sometimes if I'm writing reports, I'll definitely do those from my work office because I, yeah, my home office rather, because I need mm. no interruptions. Mm. Um, and, and there's benefit for that. But also what the other part of that conversation is that organisations are now looking at output rather than bums on seats, hours at a desk. They're looking at output and, and, and work as a part of life. And there's all sorts of interesting stuff coming with the four-day work week um, and other, you know, other models like that. And I think, I, think the, I think the future is ripe for maybe some new innovation in this space that we haven't had for a long time. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be an interesting one to see. Very interesting indeed. Uh, your own uh, personal history intrigues me uh, as well, Nisha, if you don't mind my asking uh, about it. Um, certainly you had severe health issues, I think, for quite some time, did you? I did, yeah. I had very severe health issues for, it's hard to quantify it exactly, but I would say kind of five to seven years. As it turned out, I had um, a heavy metal poisoning that I actually got in utero from my mum who had metal fillings in her mouth. Wow. Um, so they weren't able to diagnose me here. Here in Ireland, I was peddled around all over the place. I was very fortunate to be able to go to a clinic in Switzerland um, and a simple test was able to to determine what, what was wrong. So, yeah, it took a long time of weekly... Inf- well, I went over there for a number of weeks and then weekly infusions, then every two weeks, then every three weeks. Um, but it, what, you know, what they said to me in Switzerland was, you were always going to get sick because I had this toxic load in my system which, by the way, a lot more people have than you'd realise. Um, but I was, I the way that I was living, which was subject to the, the way that you know we're we're, determ- we're we're kind of programmed to live, busy, busy, busy. You know, worked for myself. You know, come home for the kids, back out with the laptop at night, hosted everything. So they said in Switzerland, you know, the timing of when you got sick was your own fault in terms of that you were never able to um, to relax really or to stop. So what I what I did was I suppose I, I reprogrammed my own life as I got better and better. But I also noticed recurring themes happening um, with my clients over about a ten year period. And these are people who seemingly had it all. You know, the big house, the big job, the two point four children, all the stuff we're told yeah. Yeah. will equal success and happiness. Um, and I found five themes that. Um, were consistent among these among these clients of mine. And what I talk about now in my work, Fran, is that if we're living life from the outside in, i.e. we're responding to whoever's shouting the loudest at us and we're looking at, um, you know, what's going on in the world and it can all be very, very um, overwhelming. If we actually start to work from the inside out and, and, what, and live from the inside out, and what I mean by that is, beginning to connect to yourself. What do you really mean? Do you really want this job? Do you really need this relationship? What actually resources you? And getting to know yourself um, often for the first time. Now, I do a lot of this work in organizations, but I also offer um, these workshops in the community. I have, I have some starting on the 7th of November um, online. But what you'll find as well now, which is great, is that organizations are listening. And when you have, you know, hard data like that from Netwatch coming in, you know, people are really sitting up and saying, okay, well, what can we do here to support our staff? What can we do here to create cultures that promote this self-connection and this sense of um, 
mental health and, and, and responsibility so that we can actually, as I was saying earlier, have a shared conversation, have a shared understanding of what the vocabulary actually means and what it means for us because one size doesn't fit all. But there are things that we can do, quite simple things that we can do um, for ourselves and within the organisation. So I never tell anyone what to do. You know, you need to start drinking a green juice and yes. journaling and yeah. you know that'll work for some people but it won't work for everyone so my my mo is to get people to figure it out for themselves so i teach skills i teach toolkits i facilitate conversations in organizations about culture about about well-being and that has long-lasting effects that allows people to really go oh yeah hang on i have a part to play in this um, and it doesn't have to be life done onto me where I, you know, I'm scraping by by my fingernails sometimes. Um, because as we were saying at the top, those stress responses can actually be healthy responses to an unhealthy setup. Uh, but the good news is that there's lots that we can do to ameliorate our setup. And some stuff, we, you know, is just there, uh, but we can ameliorate our, our response to it and how we experience it. And we can start to shift the balance more towards thriving every day. Alicia, it was fascinating to talk to you. If people want to see what you do and have a look at uh, possibly uh, interacting with you in some way, how can they do that? Um, so my website is leishamagra.com. That's L-E-I-S-H-A. And I'm on LinkedIn under that um, handle. I'm also, I do a lot of well-being, free well-being stuff on my Instagram, which is start with three minutes. And that's the number three. That was what the physio said to me when I was starting to learn to walk again. So um, that's where, that's the origin of that. So start with three minutes is a lot of the well-being. And then the more corporate stuff is LinkedIn or via my website. Well, I was delighted to talk to you, Alicia. And thanks for making time for us today. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Fran. Thank Take you. care. Good morning to you. That's Leisha McGrath there, chartered work and organisational uh, psychologist and a most interesting guest indeed. Um, we'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Budget day today, and just after one o'clock, the Finance Minister, Michael McGrath, uh, will unveil the 2024 budget. And if we're to look at uh, what's being reported in uh, recent days, our reporter, Alison Highland, joins me in studio now to run through what we can expect. I suppose, Ellie, over the last few years, I mean, the budget is basically all leaked, isn't it? Ahead of it time, is. Yeah. There, there are generally no surprises anymore. And I wonder, is that so it's a kind of a slow drip that we can get used to the measures? But is it also a way... I'm sure maybe the government test the waters, but the government might say, you know, we don't want anyone nervous or anxious ahead of the budget. That we want everyone to to put it out there to know what everyone how they're going to benefit. But you don't know about that then either. Yeah, for sure. Middle income earners. Let's let's start there. Yeah, they seem to be the big winners Mm. in this budget. If these reports are to be believed, Um, taxpayers expected to be around eight hundred euro better off. That's on average, thanks to cuts in the dreaded universal social charge. Finally, Mm. Uh, also. 5% 5% of a cut, though, isn't it's it? It's very, very tiny. Small, yeah. yeah, it will be cut to 4% from 4.5%. Yeah. This temporary tax, of course, remember, that was brought in on also this charge. Yeah. Uh, there'll also be changes to the tax bans um, that will be announced later. 
So what we will see is that the entry point for the 40% top rate of income tax will be increased by €2,000. That will bring that then to 42000 So what that means essentially is that you will have to be earning uh, over 42000 to get into that tax yes. band. So you should be better off then. So what it does mean, and the um, examples they're giving, is that a worker who's earning 50000 a year should get an extra €800 Euro in their pocket next year, while a person earning 75000 uh, will be up €900. Euro. So there will also be tax relief as well in terms of mortgages because we know that the middle income were a big target in this budget, the squeezed middle, of course, yeah. as, as, as they're referred to. So what's happening with mortgages then, I mean, a lot of people being hammered, particularly those on tracker rates. Um, so what's going to happen is there will be tax relief for about 160,000 of those who are on those tracker mortgages of 1,250 euros. So that's what they're expecting. Um, also, uh, parents as well is another big one. They will be getting a reduction in childcare fees, an average of 25%. And this falls under uh, Minister Roderick O'Gorman's promise that he would reduce childcare fees by 50%, mm. but over two budgets. That doesn't kick in for some time. Though. Until next September. Wow. Next September. So you'll have to wait a year to see that reduction in childcare fees. So I don't know why they're kind of lauding it as this big, you know, mm. attempt to tackle childcare costs because you will have to wait a year for it. Mm. Good news, though, there are a number of lump sums coming. Yes. Uh, if we're to believe these reports. So these will include a doubling of the child benefit, also a Christmas bonus and January bonus, as well as €200 Euro for people on living alone allowance. You'll see €400 Euro for people on the carer support grant, €400 Euro for people on the disability support grant, €400 Euro for people receiving the working family payment, €300 Euro for people on fuel allowance, and €100 Euro for people receiving the qualified uh, child increase. Um, this also kind of falls under Minister Roderick O'Gorman's um, programme as well in an effort to, to help those kind of struggling with the cost of childcare and also the cost of living as well. Uh, the renter's credit, that's another one for people renting. That's now €500, Euro, but it could be increased to as much as 750 Landlords then, they haven't been excluded. They'll receive a relief at the 20% standard rate on a proportion of their rental income. But that is only if they agree to keep their properties on the market. So they'll say this is an attempt to kind of get more properties on the market for renters. Um, also, what, what is coming in, which is interesting, Minister Heather Humphreys has gotten support to introduce a pay-related social welfare benefit. That's very interesting. Very interesting. It? Yeah. And it's based, it's for people who lose their jobs, essentially. And it's a graduated payment scheme. So it will see anyone who's unemployed paid 60% of their salary or up to €450 Euros a week for the first six months after they lose their jobs. Because for some people, if they're earning maybe the average wage of between 30 and 40000 if they lose their job and then they have to come down to social welfare payments, which are about 180 depending on what you qualify for, up to 250 a week, um, you know, it's not an awful lot compared to what you would have been on. So this is kind of a graduated yes, scheme. And it gives you six months, I suppose, to, to sort of look for something it does, else. And, it does. Um, yeah. Also, as well as that, social welfare payments, then, yeah. is another interesting one. They will increase by €12 Euros a week. Um, so a €2.3 billion cost of living package of one-off measures also announced in that. That will include those two double payments paid to welfare recipients, which I which I announced under the, the lump sums yes. that are coming. Now, we with these double payments, you'll be paid one in December and then one in January. 
and that double child benefit as well, as I said, that will be coming before uh, Christmas. So if we look then to education, what's interesting in the education... This, this is best of anything, really, I think, isn't it? You know, in terms of what's happening with education. It is. It's an yeah. interesting one. And I don't think it was one that was expected because we know that this year they introduced the free school books in primary schools, mm. which a lot of parents were very welcome. Uh, were, mm. were welcoming. And also the fact that the bus transport costs as well have come down hugely. I mean, yes. what were they this year? I think 75 euro this year. If, compared if you can to get a bus, of course. If you can get a bus. Yes. Yeah. But under the budget then this year, what they're, they're introducing the free school book scheme out to junior cert level. So this will benefit about 770,000 pupils up to junior cert level. Mm. Uh, so they will receive free school books from next September. That includes copy books, calculators, dictionaries and other classroom resources as part of that. Also, college fees, another welcome one. That's a big one. College fees will yeah. be halved essentially, €1,500 yeah. a year along with a more than €300 Euro increase in student grants to help with college costs. Also, if uh, you have maybe young ones who are going to college. Other welcome news in terms of transport. Young adults up to the age of 25 will be able to avail of half-price public transports. Uh, that's due to be announced today. And the age limit for the Young Adult Leap Card, which reduces the cost of public transport by 50%, uh, will be pushed out up to the age of 25. That age currently is 23. Very good indeed. The big ones then, fuel, alcohol, cigarettes. Ali, what can we Yeah, expect well, there? the cigarettes, it's an, always an easy target and they're going up again this year. They're talking about 50 cents being added the price Wait of till 20 Johnny Luby cigarettes. Hears that. <laughs> yeah, and anyone who's vaping or on e-cigarettes, you're not going to escape either because there is a plan as well to mm. tax those. Now, it won't be immediately because they need legislation which will be coming down yes. the line, but what, what about being the fuel? put on notice. What about the fuel, Ellie? The fuel won't be hit, we're being told, with mm. further excise. Uh, and they scheduled 7 cent increase in the price of petrol, 6 cent on a price of diesel. That was due to apply from the end of this month, but that has been delayed. Right. Now, we might hear more on that in the budget but at the moment it looks like they won't be increasing prices very good but they'd want to tell the garages that wouldn't they Fran oh don't start they've got up about five cents in the last week from what I can see just dreadful stuff Um, business benefits what's happening for business yeah Uh, so 130,000 small and medium businesses they'll get up to half of their commercial rates back now that's under a special 250 million euro package aimed at softening the impact of an increase in the minimum wage bringing that up to 12.70 an hour also, employers' PRSI hikes, uh, they'll be delayed from January for either six or nine months. That's under measures from Enterprise Minister Simon Coveney. So that scheme will see up to half of the rates already paid by businesses returned to them, which I'm sure many will welcome. Indeed. And now I know people will be delighted and thrilled to know the barristers will be looked after. Thank God. All of their <laughs> campaigning over the last few weeks has really paid off for them. Yes. Criminal legal aid will rise by 10%. Now, that's going to cost about €9 million. Euro. Uh, that's following that protest by barristers outside the court because yeah. they're so underpaid. They're so underpaid. They're so underpaid. They're going, living from hand to mouth. And, and when it comes to justice as well, there'll also be a €12 million euro increase in funding to tackle domestic, sexual and gender-based violence and the establishment of a new agency. Uh, trainee Gardaí also will get a 66% increase to their training allowance from budget days. So that will see their uh, wage, I suppose, essentially rise to €305 yes. Euros a week. Is something for their overtime 
as well? Did I read that along the way? There is. There'll be a 25% increase in the Garda overtime spend. That's to tackle antisocial behaviour. So that funding increasing from 105 to 131. There'll also be a promise from Helen McEntee, we're assured today, of between 800 and 1,000 new Garda trainees that will be announced later on today. So also with the, the energy credits as well, I think we're waiting to hear that. Uh, households will receive three energy credits. Won't be as much as the last time. The last time we got, I think, mm. 200 euro. This time it'll be 150. So 450 in total. Um, so we'll get one, in, I think, one in December, then one again, one in November, one in January, and then one again in March. So similar to this Interesting. year. Interesting. Of course, economists are coming out and saying, well, you know, from a pure economics point of view, if you feed a market that is already in inflation, you're going to make things worse. Uh, yes, but at the other side of it, we have yeah. elections next year, so they have to make us happy. Oh, don't you they? old cynic, you, Ali. <laughs> you old cynic. Thanks very much indeed Thanks, for that, friend. Ali. We'll take a break and we're back with uh, interior design with Karen in just a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1 800 938 007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, welcome back to Tip Today. It's time to talk interior design and our interior designers, Karen Prendergast, who's with me in studio, always bringing in mood boards and colour boards and also how are you Karen? I'm, I'm doing well. That's I'm good to see you. You're going to talk to us today about colour uh, psychology and particularly where the bedroom is concerned. Yeah. Now you promised that there'd be nothing racy <laughs> as you described it so beautifully about this. <laughs> but tell me about uh, colour psychology. I suppose you know as humans we're, vi- we're very visual creatures and colours are important in all sp- aspects of our lives and we associate colours and certain themes, emotions and places. I definitely do. Mm-hmm. While most people can have varying views of colours, there are general similarities between how we associate colours and things. And colours are even more important when they surround us often, such as colours that dominate our homes and rooms. Mm. And I often say this in passing and laughing a bit, but in general... I, if I meet a person before I go to their house, I normally know what colours are in their house. Are you serious? Yeah. By maybe the colour car they're driving or the colour clothes they're wearing because they're already, they're items that they like the colour of. So there's a chance that those colours are repeated in their house or vice versa. That's so very interesting. Very often indeed. I can, friend, yeah. I know what I'm I know what I'm gonna mm. be looking at when I go but, in. But does that limit you then, Karen, in terms of your ideas for, for home are you, uh, but I presume you have to incorporate a person's person. Of course thing. you have to. Yeah. And you know that okay. and, and that's very and it's yeah. a logical thing. I mean you know, greys are in, greys are in, grey grey is in and has been in for several years, greens are in, navies are in and the whole lot. But I'm not going to go into somebody's house and push navy or green or grey on them if they're love cream yes, and love yeah. tops and love whatever. So I'm always, the minute I'm talking to somebody on a phone, I'm getting a picture in my head, not a picture of them or a picture of their house, but a picture of what they might like mm. to achieve. And when I go into their home, the first thing I do when I go into anybody's house is, uh, was in somebody's house last week. They said, I didn't tidy up before he came. I said, I'm glad because 
that's not how I work. I want, you know, mm. I, I want to see the person and the people in the home and the home the way it is. I'm not looking for the red carpet. Many, many a person nearly puts out the red carpet for me, all jokes aside, but mm. I'm not looking for the red carpet. So when I enter somebody's house, I'm getting a feel for the house, a feel for them, how they live, what I already kind of, you know, I'd have a good idea what they want to achieve just by having that initial walk around. So even if I'm going into somebody's sitting room to do up their sitting room or to go to kitchen or a bathroom, I always ask them when I when I enter the house, any chance I can have a look around? Yes. Can I follow you around and show me what? And what that indicates, the I, style yeah, of the person. Yeah, it, it does. And it indicates maybe, you know, how that person is living. I could be going into somebody's house that might have health issues or, um, they, you know, I might be going in to take out a bathroom or a kitchen and they want a bathroom or kitchen revamp because maybe um, their health has changed or something has changed in the house or people are moving on in years. Yeah. So, like, I it, psychology does but doesn't play a big part in it. It does definitely but people don't know that. So mm. I'm always reading, I'm always looking, I'm always conscious of how what the person likes mm. and dislikes and it's my job is an awful lot about listening. Mm. Interesting, yeah. And your mood boards are seem to be centred around bedrooms and of course relaxation I suppose is is at the you core know, of that. You know and what's relaxing yeah. what's what somebody considers relaxing maybe I mightn't consider relaxing either but there are definitely I done mood, one mood board that has a lot of deeper colours on it friend yes. a lot of timber and one in particular wall panelling I'd love and that now because I love the darker yeah, colours yeah and I, I did when I, I did two mood boards for you but I did one dark because dark is in um, the colours I'm giving out today but I knew you'd love that mood board and another one then we have much lighter and brighter and an airier look Yes, um, and and that's lovely too. I I happen to prefer the dark, but it's interesting, Karen, that even though you have dark colours, there's still light. There's still light, and lighting is a big part of yes. every room. So whether that's um, daylight or artificial light, lighting is really important. And especially in a bedroom, lighting is important because you're looking for mood lighting, task lighting. So for me, I'd have to have some. Um, bedside wise that I can read yes yes and that you know um, most people you could have one reader in in, in the room or whatever and it needs to be a different type of light so it doesn't keep the other person awake in the bedroom or you know children's bedrooms or whatever Mm. we're talking about but again I'm drawn friend to the darker mood board but funny enough uh, my house would be more on to this kind of a colour scheme because I have lower ceilings Okay. Um, my bedroom is quite big for the size of the house that I have, but um, I have low ceilings, so I would be thinking lighter, brighter, airier in my situation. Uh, giving you a sense of more space, Karen. Giving me is a that, sense of more that, space. Okay. And, you know, I've said before, I have one dressing table, one um, set of drawers on top of another set of drawers, so that leaves... Um, yes. much more space in the room as well and I have a, a timber floor instead of a carpet because I have allergies. And what about the choice of bed, Karen? I mean, does fashion play a part here as well? I mean, you know, it seems to me now when I go to hotels, I mean, you you could play a soccer match in some of the beds. Yeah, it does. And again, it if depends. You, if you wanted if to. If you wanted to, to it depends. And I suppose when I'm going shopping for beds with people, um, if I'm doing up um, their house, you know, it's so important to get a mattress to suit you. I paid a lot of money for a mattress about four years ago. And, um, but you have back issues. Could, yeah, I have back yeah. issues. Yeah. But anyway, it ended up being too hard for me. But that was wow. totally my own fault. Now, I lid in the bed a few times, you know, and, yeah. and got the mattress anyway. And it just didn't suit me. So the mattress had to go and um, ended up paying a lot of money for another mattress. But this mattress is fine. So it's it's quite easy. Make I've made I made a mistake with a mattress and paid quite a bit of mo- a lot of money for it. So just when you're buying 
mm. mattresses. Make sure you're getting the type that suits you. Don't be afraid to ask questions in the shops. Don't be afraid to lie in the bed ten times if you yeah, need to yeah. and check it out. And maybe but are you telling me you shouldn't scrimp on the mattress though? Because of course you know. I mean, if you, if you have a cheap one, will it? Well, I am. I suppose you'd be looking for something medium quality anyway, medium okay. To, okay. To, to to you know upwards. Yeah. But um, you could have a mattress that could be very cheap, and the springs could just you know. Mm not yeah. be the best that could come up through it. So just, I suppose, there's a price range in mattresses for everybody. Of course, yes, of course. Um, so so tell me more about this. Thing, yeah, Karen. so when it comes to bedroom design, the colour is very important and yes. it is where you rest and sleep. So before you buy, it's like every other room, the wallpaper, the furniture, the beds and the whole lot, make sure that you pick a theme that you're happy with. Mm. So the first colour I'm going to talk about is red. Now, as we know, the colour red is the colour for passion. Mm. So and ideal for the bedroom. Ideal I'm sure for the bedroom. Yes. <laughs> the more vibrant the red, the more vibe comes in <laughs> to the room. But I it's see. a dramatic colour and yes. also it's a colour that's associated with food and hunger. So, you know, be careful with it, you mm. know. Uh, but there's nothing like a special colour maybe in a trow or a bed set, a duvet set or whatever that you could bring some colour in. Okay. Grey is a natural colour. It's associated, of course, with cement and stone. And but it's a nice, delicate colour. Light greys give the feeling of calmness. But when it's overwhelming, like a lot of dark greys, it can be a bit dull and depressing. So just be careful on the type of greys that you pick. Okay. Right. Um. And greys are better matched with other colours. So if you if you match it with other colours um, in the room, you'll it'll it's a better combination and it's yes. lighter and brighter. So you see, see grey there, where it's and it looks very good. Do you know what strikes me, Karen? Is that there's not a sign of a floral anywhere, really, all that much. Now, is there? I wonder in the mood boards. Um, in what I put on the mood boards to say maybe we've got 20, mm. 15 different bedrooms there. Funny that you say that I didn't pick a floral to put on that right. and that's probably why I'm not a very florally person. But maybe it's a fashion thing as well. Um, I, mean, I remember yeah, years ago with the Laura yeah, Ashley stuff. Yeah, you you, you yeah. wouldn't know whether you should water, I mean, water the wallpaper. It, and or it or is still there and all, you know, yeah. all those florals are there but funny enough for these mood boards um, I shied away from flowers, yes. didn't I? Yeah, you Good did. Yeah. There you are. Now well you see. Up, yeah. So purple is another colour. And I t- of course, I'm talking mostly about deeper colours today. It's a historically a colour of royalty. Um, purple has that feeling of lavish and fancy mm-hmm. and gives a little feeling of mystery and, sof- and sophistication. So um, like red, purple is dramatic. So go out Go right. easy with it. But, but oh yeah, go easy with it. Go so, easy so with it. An area. An area. Yeah, okay. Again, maybe the bed linen, maybe the head of the bed wall. Some people like a splash of colour. You know, you can't talk everybody around. Um, some people like, especially the head of the bed, to be a colour. But if you do want to um, add a little bit of texture and glamour to a room, wallpaper is really good for mm. the head of the bed. Right. Okay. For just that wall. Jo- for just, just that just wall. That if you wall, did want yeah. to bring in a bit of colour, again, blue is a colour. Um, option. It reminds most people of the ocean and the sky. Light blues mm. will make a room seem larger compared to deeper blues. We have some deeper blues on the mood board. Um, but did I not hear that blue gives a sense of cold or cool? It depends on the type of blue. Oh, does it? Okay. So if it's if it's a it's cool on the chart, it's going to give a cooler um, mm. feel. But you can see we have a type of bluey green there. It's not anyway cool. It's um, Yes, it there's works, mustard works on the bed, mustard trows, yeah, and we have yeah. another lovely deep it's midnight beautiful. blue here. Yeah. It's fabulous, isn't yeah. it? That's really lovely. And a nice fur trow over the bed. And the, and the print is just gorgeous. It is gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. Because yeah. you, you have a thing about um, prints, haven't you, and wall art? I love them, so, yeah. brown again is a great one, syncs with nature. Um, it's 
a lot of people go with types of brown. Um, it's a great comforting colour and it oozes sophistication. Yeah, I think that looks. That timber looks wall great is gorgeous, well. isn't it? Um, are timber or brass um, um, headboards are are they out now? It seems to me like that's wood panelling. That, oh. that 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 oh, that's wood panelling. That's wood panelling yeah. on that one. Yeah. But no, they're not out. They're all they are all available. Oh, they're all there depending well. on the shops that you're shopping. Right. Okay. Very good indeed. Um, will you take a couple of questions? I will, of course. Okay. My radiators in some rooms are gone off colour. Can I paint them, or should I buy radiator covers? So radiators um, can be painted. Um, so I'm going into houses maybe 20, 30 years old, and the radiators are gone yellow and gone off mm, a little bit. So yeah. they can be very, they can be painted very well, and it's a great result. Again, a special paint, Karen? A special paint. You're talking probably, um, I would say, a satin wood or an eggshell finish. Mm. Um, it can be water based or oil based. The main thing is just to give your sand, your radiators again a quick wash down with some sugar soap and water solution. Leave them dry, undercoat them, and finish them. Finish coat them then with a white satin wood or a white eggshell. Satin wood and eggshell is a semi gloss paint. It comes in water based and oil based. But some companies call it eggshell. Some companies call it satin wood. But it's give or take the same product. Okay, very good. And if you wanted it to match up with all the colours and maybe something a little more bold, w- would you do that? Yes, you, of radiator? course you could. Or some people might want the radiator cover or the radiator to be the co- same colour as the wall so it sinks in okay. so you don't really see right. it. So as we know, radiators tend to come in white. Um, now there's different types of radiators out um, that are a fashion statement. They come in peach and pink yeah. and grey and whatever. But... Um, some people like them to sink into the colour of the walls. So, for instance, if you were putting a colour, I often talk about subtle on the walls, you might decide to get subtle mixed in the eggshell and finish your radiator in that colour so it looks more like parted wall oh. as opposed to white, okay. white radiator. And the notion of radiator covers? They're a great. I think they're a great idea. They do block a little bit of heat, maybe, but depending on the radiator cover that you choose, they're very popular, they're very in, and I have them in all my right. radiators. Are they the like the timber thing yes, you see are. surrounding yeah. them? Oh, okay. And again, that they some of them come unpainted, most of them come white, but if you wanted to, you could paint the radiator cover the same colour as the wall, but remember, you can paint it in eggshell. It has to be, it can paint it in. Um, in emulsion that you would use on the wall is a different paint which is an eggshell or a satin finish. All oh, right, okay. And are, are they made to measure or can you, you buy mo- them? You can mostly buy them off oh, the shelf. Okay. So what you need right. is to, when you're measuring a radiator for a radiator cover, make sure that you don't just measure the radiator itself, measure the pipework underneath, friend, because the pipeworker um, is normally... Um, maybe okay. you know, or you might have the thermostatic yes, valve course, on it. Yeah. So measure the whole, every bit of the radiator so you if you're buying one. But no. they're they're quite reasonable to buy off the shelf. Now with something stupid like that, I'd end up doing and messing it up. Anyway, somebody else says my sitting room floor was always carpeted. Now I have put down a laminate timber floor and it looks very bare. I'm wondering should I buy a rug or could Karen suggest anything else? A rug would be a great idea mm. if a rug works for you. So um, sometimes... Um, if you don't fall over. If you, well, first of all, you don't that it's safe that you don't yes. fall over. Second of all, if you have animals in the house, maybe, you know, uh, people would often say, I'm never having a rug in the house because of cats or dogs or mm. whatever and so forth. But if, if you're feeling that it's a little bit bare and that you like rugs and you're happy, you know, with the upkeep of a rug, um, they are great to bring some colour and texture into a room because if you get a, and and this season coming, rugs are gone crazy 
colour wise mm. so there's not anything as much muted as there has been for the last few seasons all the rugs now are really big in colour so it's a great way to introduce colour this season if you do want to and maybe accessorise then with some cushions or throws as well and it would add a whole new dimension to that bare floor she's feeling it's very bare It's interesting do you know something that we often talk about uh, at home and I wonder how do you get around it for instance we're talking about bedrooms today I mean if you put a lot of money and you know creativity into doing the bedroom all of a sudden the other rooms look tired and uh, how how do you get around and, that? And they do. And sometimes and sometimes maybe, again, I get calls to houses. I don't really have a lot for you to do, but my furniture isn't right or there's something wrong. Will you come and have a look? Mm. So it might be moving furniture around. It might be um, getting some new lighting, maybe some new lamps, um, maybe just changing your throws. Or if you don't have throws, introducing a throw and some cushions into a room. But that's the thing is, when you start in one room, I know, yeah. it shows up the others. Doesn't yeah. it? You know, but it, I think the thing is, you just you don't have to spend a lot of money now for accessories. And at least if you don't spend too much money on accessories, they can be changed. But again, we're talking there a while ago, the cost of a bed, the cost of a mattress, a timber floor, um, you know, getting a painter in or getting some painting done. Everything has gone up so much in yeah. the last few years, yeah. you know. So you just want to make sure that you're not making any mistakes. And again, what I spoke about in the beginning when we were talking about um, the colours, and um, planning your bedroom. Don't pick the colour first if you're changing a few items. If you're not changing anything in your bedroom, it's fine, or any other room in the house. But if you're thinking about buying a bed, changing the floor, changing the window treatment or whatever, think about it all out and plan it out together. Make yourself a little mood board like I did. Mm. It can be on an A4 piece of paper. Yeah, they work. They terrific, work, they work really they? well because yeah, when yeah. you put the, 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 the whole elements of the room together you can see if they don't work or not. Or you might like one item better than the other and that might take you off in a different colour scheme completely. Mm. But things are costing too much money now to make mistakes. Right. And the biggest one and I get it all the time is and I have a few colours then to shout out today if that's okay friend. Mm. I bought a bed or a couch and it's too big for my room. Yeah. What am I going to do? Oh Lord. All through the years it's I been could, the I could write a book on it. We only have a few seconds left, Karen. Do you yeah, want do you want I to have, a couple of So I have a lovely blue, it's called Inkwell. I have a brown called Pine Martin. I've also a brown called Irish Elk. I have a green called Borrowing. I have... Uh, What's the green called again? Borrowing. B-U-R-R-O-W-I-N-G. Yeah. I have a mauve called Newgrange. Mm-hmm. I have another type of mauve called Mallow Stem. I have a green called Treasure. Mm-hmm. And I have a Covet Feather. Another green, actually. Somebody contacted me after the show and I called that out one day to say they painted their front door on the Covet Feather and they absolutely loved it and thanked right. me. And I have a grey called Genesis. Genesis. Very so nice. they're all dark and moody colours for today. creative with their names. Aren't they? And uh, just to remind listeners again, if you Google Any the of name, those names, the colour the will brand show will up. Come up to the colour and the brand. All right. Karen, if people want to talk to you, how can they, they do They can that? contact me on 086 606 9009. That's 086 606 9009 and um, my website is interiorconcepts.ie. All right. Great to see you, Karen. Thanks very Thank much you, indeed. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 
Welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. We have that lovely voucher for you. It's a €100 Euro voucher for the Mr. Mr. Uh, clearance sale that's happening at Kilcorn Lodge Hotel. Um, that's just outside of care, by the way. And it's kicking off on Thursday, running right through until Sunday. And you can pop along and you, you can get yourself a blazer or a jacket or a coat or maybe some knitwear. Uh, there's chinos there, polos, T-shirts, all sorts of stuff. And uh, we have a €100 Euro voucher to give away. That's based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp on 83 And if you put Mr. Mr. at the end of your contribution, we will pop you in the draw. Now, we're with you every single weekday, of course, from 9 o'clock. This morning, we spoke to Sadie about her concerns about road safety in Tipperary. She was inspired to call the show after a couple of incidents that she saw on the roads near where she lives in recent days. Here's a little of what Sadie uh, told me after 9 o'clock this morning. I'm sitting at my table looking out at it and it's frightening to see um, the speed and the carelessness and people on tractors and what have you on phones and oil lorries or whatever. Even yesterday as I was speaking to Emma on the phone, um, a, a big van passed and the guy on the mobile. I know you're going into a bend. But on Sunday I was going to Clanmel and um, at three different occasions where there was a continued white line or else that, um, you know, the, where they say not to pass. Mm. Um Things passed me. Two motorbikes in, in particular, they, they literally frightened me. Now, I'm gone to the stage, and I don't mind saying this, that I, I say a prayer every day before I leave the house. It's gone that bad. Now, I know I'm in my mid-70s and all that, but I, the, the speed on the road is horrendous, and I think those speed vans are have no effect. People know where they are. Um, it's more guardy we went out on the roads. And, and is, is it worse than it's ever been? It's worse than it's ever been. I'd say that without any reservation. Yeah. It's much worse. And what, and I what think is, speed is what the is, biggest thing. What is pushing this along and making this worse, do you think? What is... I don't know. Everybody in a hurry yeah. or lack of education, maybe on younger drivers. I'm not blaming all younger drivers. Um, there used to be a time when we talked about uh, boy racers, mm. but now you could in girl, include girl racers. Is, I that, don't is know. that what I you're seeing on the roads, Sadie? You're oh, seeing absolutely. girls as well, yeah? Yeah, and I just don't think they realise the weapon that they have in their hand when they're driving. Yeah, that's Sadie who spoke to me just after 9 o'clock this morning. For every problem, there's a solution. Dear Phil, on Tip Today with Phil Prendergast. Phil has a bag full of solutions with her this morning. How are you, Phil? I have a bag full of problems. <laughs> <laughs> I'm great, thank you, and yourself. So have I. Do you see my bag of problems here just overflowing onto the ground? <laughs> it's it's uh, great. All right, will we kick off uh, straight away, Phil? It says, Dear Phil, I know I'm going to sound very shallow when I say this, but I'm very conflicted about how I'm feeling. My partner and I have been together for five years and I adore him. He's very good to me and he treats me well and I've always been really attracted to him. He's a very handsome guy. That was until he got braces. He's always been conscious about his teeth. I never saw any problem with them. I thought they looked fine, but it was a big insecurity for him. So he went off to the dentist and he decided to get some work done. Part of that work involves getting braces for a year. When I saw them, I nearly died. 
He looks like he's 16, and I think they look awful on him. They're not the big train track type braces, but they are noticeable, and he gets food stuck in them a lot, which makes me sick. I found myself less attracted to him since he got them, and I don't like kissing him anymore. I haven't spoken to anyone about this because I know it sounds shallow, but I really have lost my attraction to him. What can I do? Well, she starts off in the first sentence saying that she adores him, but she's now lost attraction. This is a temporary fix that he has. Mm. It's a temporary thing. It is going to realign his teeth or whatever reason he's had those braces put on. And she needs to actually tell him to get used to checking if he has eaten something, that it's not stuck in the braces because it's a thing mm. where you have to have additional care to make sure that you're not worsening the condition by allowing debris and food to get stuck there. So she should just say, go and do your teeth because you have food stuck in your braces. And it's tem- already there's probably a month past since this has happened. She's 11 more months. Like, it's, it's a matter of weeks. <laughs> do you know? It's not a big deal. They can, I would want to know if, if, if I had braces and I had something stuck in it. Yes. I prefer to be told, listen, don't quote like that. Yes. You know, but I think I would check it anyway. Um, braces can be quite tight when, when they're applied first as well. And it can take a bit of, you know, re, mm. you have to get used to it. It can be very painful, I understand. It can yeah. because you are real. They wouldn't put on braces for spurious reasons. Normally they would need to straighten the teeth mm. somewhat or to realign them or to put them back into a position that's better. So they, they can be quite tight. So she should actually just give them support. They're hard to get used to, both for the wear and the people that are looking at them. But this is a temporary thing and he's going to look better so she should just remember to be supportive and remember this is not a permanent feature Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And I suppose the fact he's looking after himself and not like Irish men used to be years ago with no teeth at all um, has to be a good thing, I suppose. Absolutely. You see, the thing about it is I can understand that, you know, she she knows even that it's a shallow reason yes. to decide that she doesn't like kissing him or she, she doesn't she's not attracted to him she adores him mm. if she adores him look this is a temporary thing and it's just I mean there's an end to it mm. so it's not as if you know she's allowing her whole judgement to be clouded because he has a temporary fix in his mouth most people they're conscious when they get those things anyway I can remember my lads having braces yeah, and they're just getting on with it but they had to do extra hygiene elements to their, mm. their mouth care they had to go with the programme that they were because it was quite expensive mm. so yeah. you know it'll be worth it for and a finish you'd wonder if they've had a proper conversation around it as well it seems. See, I'd say they're probably not because it, they're together five years if she is not even telling him if he has food stuck like she sh- she should be able to say yes. something like that right now but also I mean just to get him into the habit as well check your braces quite often make sure there's nothing stuck in it you know because it's not good for food to be lodged in your teeth or down behind braces it's, a, it's not a good thing anyway so I think there has to be extra elements of dental hygiene when you've got yes. braces. So um, I just think that it, it's it's a little bit... She she kind of has said it a couple of times that she, she knows that it's shallow. But look, 
maybe just hearing that it's okay to tell your partner that there's food stuck or listen, you need to have extra care around this now and make him conscious of it so that at least he knows that by the end of the period of time that he has these braces on, he's going to look and feel better and the problem will be gone for her. So, you know, she just needs to probably just bear with it and know that that will be over at some point. She'll be delighted to kiss him again then and adore him and all of that kind of stuff. All right, uh, letter number two then, Phil. It says, Dear Phil, I have a couple of different friend groups and I was always happy with that because they're quite different and I enjoy spending time with all of them and we always had a great relationship in recent months though. A friend from one group came out with me when I went out for drinks with the other group and she knitted herself in very quickly. I didn't think she would be a good mix for this particular group because she can be a bit bitchy and negative but they seem to have taken her in very easily. I found I find now though that the group that was once really easygoing and positive is turning a bit bitchy and backstabbing. I feel this is because my friend is gossiping and talking about people behind their backs, and this behaviour has now bled into the group. I really regret inviting her in, but uh, she is so embedded in the group now that I don't know how to handle it. She has even posted pictures of herself out with different girls in the group individually which we would never have done before. I'm afraid she is tearing apart our lovely group. Should I approach her about this? Oh, my goodness. Um, the writer of, of this letter is, she had ownership of different factions. Yes. And somebody who sounds like she might have a very good personality, but is inclined to, you know, say things about yeah. people and that. Look, once you know somebody is like that, be like that and just take it at face value and just, you know, let it go. But it, it seems like the writer is taking it very, very personally that someone from one of her groups or groupings <laughs> has infiltrated, has infiltrated <laughs> and now become a popular addition to the other group. Mm. And the fact that she has gone out with them means she's a very good social probably contact yes. and um the the writer is i think a little bit jealous and a little bit affronted and look it's it's i don't know what the age group is here but i would imagine they're quite young mm. because um it's it's just it's it's kind of it 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 sort of it comes across as being a little bit Juvenile, yes, a little a, precious, a little, all, yeah. a little bit precious, and yeah. a, a little bit of maturity, you know. And you know, maybe it's a sign she should stop analysing the group dynamic and the group's dynamic. Mm. Um, why shouldn't that girl go out with others if she wants, as she should? And nobody is forcing her. And the friend that she brought into the group has really settled in well. Mm. Now I know she's bringing some negative elements that maybe wasn't noticed before, but that too is is a process. Mm. Is, it, is um, it interesting how a strong character, though, can influence a group of people and maybe, you know, change the ethos of a group? It can, well. and it can change the dynamic. <laughs> and it's part and parcel of people being able to get maybe confidence where they previously wouldn't have had confidence. Or yes. you meet people that you just gel with. And that happens to everyone. You meet people and you think, I, I can really take to that person. And you can meet other people and just not take to them at all. I think jealousy might be part of the issue here um, because she's feeling that the group dynamic really has changed and she should stop worrying about it because worrying about it is going to change nothing, Hmm. you know. But um, it's perfectly normal to go out with individuals in groups or just on their own and there isn't anything wrong with it. But uh, I think she 
saw this element where she was the instigator of inviting this other girl from one group into another group. And, you know, like people don't have different colours when they go from one group to another. There's probably personalities that you either really get on with. And if the group dynamic was something that didn't suit this other girl, she, she wouldn't be going out individually with them now. I suppose. Is that usual for women to have separate groups of friends? There would be, uh, Fran, because you could be going to a gym and you'd go stuff and do stuff with, with the gym yes, that you're supporting. Yeah. And you would go to table quizzes maybe with that group, etc., etc. And then you could have people that you go swimming with or people that you go walking with in the walking club. Yeah. Um, so there's many different group dynamics that have their own sort of cohort of people that you might decide to do other stuff with, like, will we go out for lunch on such and such a day? Will we go and I want to go down and visit the Dove Hill or mm-hmm. I want to go and do whatever it is? Um, and so, yeah, there would be different things that you do with different people simply because you're involved in different groups with them. But it doesn't stop them crossing over to being a group that you also might meet afterwards after walking on the mountains in the pub or something. Right. But I can understand if somebody is a little bit fragile, they bring another person into an intimate group and all of a sudden that person becomes the star of the group. That could be a but it's, bit it's the writer that's seeing her as the star, yeah, of, the the star of the group. She, oh, yeah, 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 do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, I it's it's mean. her interpretation of the dynamic okay. that is to the forefront here because the people in the group just probably accept this girl at face value. She's a friend of the writers and therefore she, you know, she's accepted by them because they value her. So she's not seen any of the positives of this. She's kind of gotten jealous because... The girl has, you know, settled mm, in very mm. well and very accepted. And, and why shouldn't she? Yes, OK. And uh, the notion as well about being bitchy. Uh, I mean, I'm just wondering about that particular term. Is that just somebody who's sassy and a little bit kind of... Look, there are people that are, uh, want to see the negatives in life or they want to see the positives. Yeah. I, I wouldn't particularly be a fan of, say, for instance, if you're you're going to a group and somebody has a particular trait that I didn't like, I mightn't be opting to sit beside her. Mm, mm. But I still could be perfectly socialised and civil. Yes, I know. Do you know? But, like, there are people that have very good personalities and they integrate very well. And they can introduce an element of bitching or deciding to... An edge to it. An edge. But, I mean, the group can either tolerate that brilliantly or they can decide, yeah... Or challenger mm. on when she starts talking about someone else. I'm saying, wait until she's here now. You can say it to her face. Right. You'll call her out on it. Yeah. Rather than just letting it be. But this this woman, the writer of this, is is very um, upset. So I would imagine the group is quite young. Probably, you know, probably 16, 17 in that age group. Very interesting indeed. All right, our third letter then. Uh, I think this I think this is an interesting one. Well, they're all interesting, but this in particular. It says, Dear Phil, my 17-year-old son recently got a good part-time job that he enjoys and pays well for his age. I wanted him to learn a bit of responsibility and earn his own spending money. He was earning a bit more than I expected because he has taken on extra shifts and I found he was blowing the money on stupid stuff. So I told him since he's earning more money, he needs to contribute to the household expenses. He gives me 60 euros a week now for his room 
on board, but that was after a bit of complaining on his part. The problem is we were at a family event for my husband's side last week and he mentioned the fact that I'm charging him rent. Well, I was ripped to shreds by everybody saying I was mean and to let the poor child have his money and 60 euro was a lot to ask. I was shocked. I always had to hand over some money for my wages at his age. I don't think it's totally unreasonable, but because he heard everybody giving out to me, he's trying to dig his heels in about keeping the money. I'm wondering, what should I do? I think most parents have been there, haven't they? I think so, yeah. yeah. Now, I, I think there's a few questions. Mm. Is he saving anything at all? Is it, it would be the no number one question that. I'd yes. have, right? Mm. And secondly, is he finished school? Is he going to go on to college? Is he going to go on to do, um, you know, take up an apprenticeship? So that's an issue. There's a significant cost to those future plans. So it might be better to save his money rather than charging him rent. To put away the 60 euro. To put away the 60 euro or let her put away the 60 euro Mm. because she was feeding him this before he was ever working. So it would be much better use for her to put the 60 euro into the credit union or into the post office or wherever they would like to save Mm. because that would be maybe have the relationship between them not fractionated. Okay. You know, that it's, it's kind of saying, okay, look, we're not going to charge that for the rent because you'd be feeding anyway, you'd be staying here anyway. So let's go and put the money aside and let you then have a kind of a lump sum to pay college fees or apprentice fees or travelling fees or whatever it is. And that to me would be a much, probably more palatable option because Mm. he'd still be saving. But the young fella is working extra shifts, so he's probably anxious. Now, I take the point totally, and and I suppose I should have maybe said this first, that when she said he was blowing the money on stupid stuff, I'd like to know what the stupid stuff is. Mm. Is it, is it, it's not, I hope it wouldn't be gambling. Mm. I hope it wouldn't be going down to Penny's every weekend and yes. buying himself a new outfit or, or whatever. Or, or drink, even though he's um, only 17. Yeah, yeah, but again, he seems to hold down a job and, you know, mm. he's he's got a good part-time job that he enjoys and it pays him well for his age. So he probably realises that. Now, there's a little bit of a crossed line between the mam and the son here. So I think her handling of it wasn't the best. Mm. But I think there has to be a sit-down chat and that includes maybe the dad as well, if he's around. And just say, you know, listen, you're right. I won't be taking that for the rent. I'm taking it and putting it into to your account. Or you are setting up a direct debit and putting it into your account. And give him autonomy on that. Now, what did you make of the in-laws wading in on this and, uh, you know, ripping her to shreds, as she said? Well, and, you see, you know. I suppose, first of all, in-laws have a feel... They, they feel they have the right to kind of give an opinion. <laughs> and depends... Uh, we always appreciate it, don't we? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You love getting people's <laughs> opinions. But, um, yeah. you know, the woman is going back to... She always had to hand over some money. And, of course, that would have been in, like probably 20 years previous so it's certainly you know things have changed and things have as everybody knows the cost of actually living has increased exponentially I know they might make some efforts today to to ease that burden for the people that are very badly affected but I think the, the, the young fella stirred it if you like by telling everyone she's charging me rent 
Um, and so, you know, I mean, I'd probably be giving him a route, <laughs> metaphysical yeah, route, course, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> because he would have done that because it probably wasn't necessary. But yeah. he he did it. So I think they need to have a, a mature discussion mm. without it being a screeching match. And you know, I think um, the fact that. Everybody that was there seemed to, you know. Yeah, I, I think know. he's a clever boots. I, I think oh, he played her. No, he I played he her. Played he played her, her. Yeah. her because it was a, a family event for the husband side. Yes. So it was all <laughs> his. The fa- you know what I mean? It yeah. was all one side versus the other side, and of course she felt attacked. Of course yes. she did. Um, she's not a bad person. Yeah. She was. Now there's probably a sense of humour to it, how she was dealt with, but still. Oh she, yeah, and really... I'd say that maybe, you know, like she was just saying <laughs> she was ripped to shreds <laughs> and I'm sure she wasn't ripped to shreds, but felt it, yeah, you know, yeah. felt it because um, she thought she was doing she the good thing. She felt ambushed about yeah. it. Yeah, but I, the, I the problem is she was using the money that she was spending on him anyway because she wasn't going to stop feeding him. Yes, but the discipline of having to pay in a certain amount, if you are making money, that has to be a, a good... No, it has to be acknowledged that that's good. Yeah. But it depends. He's 17. It depends on what he's... I don't know if he's finished school or not. I'm assuming that he he is. Mm. But he may not be. Yes. But it is good policy anyway to decide that... If you're earning enough that you can afford to give 60 euro to your mam for mm. helping with your keep, you also have enough money, especially if you're blowing it on, you know, maybe going out with the lads, maybe going off to the, you know. But he should also have social time out of it and be able to enjoy that. But it's a balance, a fine balance, Is, Frank. Isn't it just indeed? Can I ask you something? I didn't give you any warning about this, but but I know you don't mind. Can I ask you something? I just heard some interesting uh, discussions over the weekend about gender quotas. And because we have elections coming up over the next what, a year and a half now or, or whatever, and somebody was making the point about women not voting for women. And I'm just wondering your stance on that, Phil. Well, <clears throat> I'll tell you a very interesting um, one. I remember after an election, and I can't remember when it was, but I met a woman up in Tesco. And now I had been on the campaign trail and it was for the European election. So, and obviously I, I knew where that stood. It was something I had to do and I knew that it wouldn't be a successful outcome. But that's neither here nor there. But I went to Tesco because, do you know the way everything is decimated in your house? All the stocks, toilet paper and toilet cleaner and washing up liquid <laughs> and washing powder and all the stuff yes. because you're not there doing so. Anyway. Um, and I went up and then I was stocking up and this woman came to me and she said um, oh she, she said Phil I was wondering would you do such and such for me um, and then she went on saying I voted now for so and so and I said and do you know where he is today I said he's up taking his seat in the doll so I said, I suggest you go to his office now and take your problem to him. I have no um, authority whatsoever to give you any advice because I'm not an elected representative. And she hadn't voted And she hadn't voted for me, but she did subsequently contact me and say, I'm very sorry. I gave no thought to how that came across. Wow. And I said, well, I'm also very sorry because I shouldn't have been so snib with you. But I said it, it was just, it was ironic that you, you gave the vote to this person and they were successful because she gave them the vote. But 
I would say it is harder for women to do the grunt work of the trails around. I, I do think, Fran, there's going to be a change in how people ask the public for their vote. I think the do days... You? I do, I do. I think the days of calling to people's houses is something that's going to become harder and harder to do. Why? People are more private now, is that People it? are more private. They're, they're, they're more, I suppose, they have ownership of their downtime. They have a, a series of things to do. If you have young children in the evening, you're, it's all about getting them, you know, whatever yeah. classes they might do or extracurricular activities and then it's their dinner and then it's, yeah, you know, wind down time and then it's, and people calling to your door. It's not ideal, but I, I suppose it's the best system we have right now. But I do think with the advent and the upsurge in the different types of social media that a lot of people have access to see how things are. But we also know how social mm. media can be manipulated. Of course, yeah. yeah. But wasn't it an interesting discussion, though, of pushing through the notion of the uh, the gender quota, particularly for, for women, and still discovering that women aren't supporting women. You know, I just it, no, it is it, strange. It, it's a very and interesting it's, conversation. It's, it is strange, and there would be groups that are very pro women, and they're very pro the whole representation of it. Yes. But I think it's always been a thing that, um, you know, it's still in the psyche of people that maybe women should be at home minding their children or doing there? that. I think it is to an extent. Wow. I think people my age need to probably run. Have you any news for us, Phil? I have no news. (laughs) Phil, it's always a delight. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you. All right, we'll take a break. Back with more in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie now, the winner of our €100 Euro voucher for Mr. Mr. Menswear is Chris Clifford from New Inn. Well done to you, Chris, and I hope you enjoy spending that. And, of course, Mr. Mr. Clearance Sale is happening at Kilcoran Lodge Hotel from Thursday, running right through until Sunday, and all sorts of bargains there if you're into uh, fashion. Legal discussion on Tip Today is brought to you in association with Lynch Solicitors Clan Mel on the web at lynchsolicitors.ie and at divorceinireland.com. And a man known for his sartorial elegance, uh, John Lynch, is with me in studio. How are you, John? I'm good. I have to thank all the people that turned out in Clan Mel, Thurlis and Nina last week for the enduring powers of attorney and for the all the new, you know, the new decision-making God help them that to listen to me for almost an hour going through the new procedure for enduring yes. powers of attorney. But yeah, I had a good time. Well looked after Nina Thurless. I said to them all, and I'll say it again, don't tell any of my colleagues that I was in Nina or Thurless <laughs> last week. But yeah, yes. no, very good turnout. I'm very impressed with um, the agencies that are out there that I wasn't familiar with, I have to admit through the local authority there's a there's a whole section of the local authority that deals with you know trying to facilitate information going to the elderly and help them deal with issues that are relevant to you know to them if you know what I mean and this was an initiative by that by the local authority uh, to do these webinars and I was I was I was doing a bit of talking on it and so was the hospice foundation and I thought I've always been 
um, really interested in the Hospice Foundation insofar as their foundation really, again, to disseminate information around all of these very sensitive issues, mm. like end-of-life issues as well. But the lady that, that was, Alison, I think was her name, was talking with me on the Hospice Foundation concept of planning ahead and you know how keen I am on planning and I think that it was she was dealing with the issue of the uh, advanced healthcare directive uh, which is a new uh, mechanism available for you now to have mm. kind of health choices uh, documented and uh, keep is it think talk and tell is the kind of mantra that the Hospice Foundation use and I've I've told her that I'm going to incorporate it into my kind of uh, paperwork that I provide on this whole area because it's an extremely powerful... Isn't it just? Uh, yes. You know, think about it, talk about it and then tell somebody about it. And it sums it up. It absolutely it sums yeah. it up really, really, really effectively mm. and very powerfully because, you know, there is a lot of thought that has to go into it and funny, I had put a lot of work into it prior to giving the talk and it's crystallised a lot of my thinking on it but it's it's really a very powerful way of talking about anything to do with, you know, sorting yes. out your affairs. You know, think about it first, talk to as many people as you can and talk to people who can inform you yes, as to what the right decisions are. Isn't it great to see are. a turnout Oh for, yeah, for, really for good that. turnout. Yeah. Really yeah, good yeah. turnout, yeah, really good turnout. Very good indeed. There's an aspect of the budget that might interest people as mm. well. I spoke to Ali about this earlier on. The criminal legal aid, John, will rise by 10% at a cost of £9 million. And this followed the barristers' um, protest outside of the courts in uh, recent weeks. Um, as they say in the Leaving Cert, discuss uh, for me. Are you surprised at that, by the way, that the protest, well, no. it worked? Well, it worked. Am I surprised it worked? Um, no, I suppose I'm not really, because you can imagine that if the services of the League of Professional are withdrawn from one of the most uh, time-consuming, resource-consuming areas of our society, which is the criminal law system, you can imagine what kind of havoc that will create. So, obviously... It's a very effective tool, uh, probably a last resort tool, because to be fair to, it's not just uh, barristers, but it's also solicitors are involved in it as well. But uh, to be fair to them now, I'm not involved in criminal. I don't really do criminal. Uh, but, you know, it's it's there have been multiple cuts down the years to the fees uh, over the last seven years, I think there have been many cuts, and there's been there hasn't been any update on the fees, and they've also updated funnily. And these things often don't get a huge amount of airing. Uh, we won't necessarily go into why they don't, but the civil on the civil side of things as well. What I mean by that is that obviously this is the criminal code you're talking about, so it's it's all the prosecutions that you're talking about. But on the civil side, they've also updated the fees because they hadn't updated the fees for the last seven years. And if you think about what they're trying to do is to reduce the cost of going to law. 
and part of the cost of going to law obviously is that if you move move cases into the lower courts there's there's less of a cost mm. involved mm. so they up the costs in the district court in terms of dealing with the amount of the level of work that's involved you know but it's a multifaceted issue yes. you know so I, I was very interested in the discussion around it though and when it came to Vox Pops and ordinary people giving their view on this, there was little sympathy for the plight of, of the barristers. And mm. it does bring that whole discussion yeah. about solicitors, lawyers, barristers yeah, and yeah. stuff. They, they, people think you're all making a fortune, you That's say. That's right. You know? well, well, I mean, well, enough of it. Well, we do make a decent living out of it after a considerable amount of training in the same way as a lot of people make a decent living out of it. hope if you work hard, you hope to get paid for it. But, and I don't make any... I don't offer any excuse for that. Uh, but I do think it's always it's always a thing that I find that invariably when I'm stand, standing at a till and I'm with a couple of buddies and it comes up that I'm the lawyer, I've got the, ooh, some other people around me. The right. invariable slag is that, you know, I should be paying because I'm the one that makes most of the money. But it, it's yes. not necessarily the case. But yeah, people... I mean, we're what is it about, though? Well, where, I think we're well. well lawyers are well paid. I mean, yeah. people perceive us as being well paid, and we are well paid for the job that we do. And you know, yes. th- that is the case. But the but animosity, you, where does that come? Where from? does the yeah. anger come from? Yeah, I suppose it comes from the fact that uh, people think that if you're well healed, you, you, you shouldn't be given out about your shoes. If you're right. <laughs> like it's the quality of the shoes. But yeah. I don't know, and it's been there for a long, long time. Yeah. I've many a time I've been slagged and some of the people that slag me I smile at them because they're making absolutely an awful lot more, <laughs> more than money. I am but uh, yeah no and and it is it is a thing it is a strange enough thing that I, I you know there's a couple of things that I've often thought about and I had this actually at the talk last week and I said to everybody I said you know people said to me I said before you ask me how much this is cost, going to cost you I can't really tell you but I can tell you that I charge three 350 euros an hour and I make no apology for it. I've been working in law for 40 years. I have multiple qualifications and I do a, a fair bit. Of, so I don't make an apology for what I charge. But what I say to them, I try and minimise the amount of time I spend on it by being as efficient I ca- as I can with my time. And maybe it's something to do with the fact that people don't see the value in mm. the work that we do. And I mm. think, like, if I'm giving you something hard and fast, like... You know, I don't know, a guitar, I was going to say in your mm. case, a guitar. You can see the value in a guitar, but can you see the value in a will? You know, do you see the value in a will? Do you see the value in the work? Well, that y- you would see, you would see the value if you came across what can go wrong with, with a will that isn't properly Correct. constructed, I suppose. Absolutely. You know, and that probably sums it up, well, does it? Well, I think that probably does sum it yeah. up. I think it, it's, it's the value, it's the inherent value in planning and doing the job properly and making sure that you're you're covering the what-if scenarios. Mm. It's it's basically what I was talking about last night. I said, you know, will, a will um, is, a, is an absolute. It's going to happen. You're going to pass. You're going to die. And the will will have to be mm. dealt with. Mm. Uh, an enduring power of attorney is a what-if. What if I lose my marbles? What, what's going to happen in that situation? But yeah, you're right. It's, it's the tangible. I always remember when I was a very uh, green young solicitor, when a fellow came in to me and uh, on a Saturday morning 
and we're there on a Saturday morning. He says to me, Asher, I suppose this isn't going to cost Anton sure Saturday. You're not working. And I looked at him and think, what do you think I'm doing? Do you think I'm just sitting here? <laughs> and, Looking and, for somebody but, to have a chat with. But the, yeah, whole, yeah, the whole yeah. thought of it was, I'm just talking to you. You know, you're just talking to me. How yes. could that cost me something? Unless you show me something tangible, there's no yeah. value in it. Well, but, to yeah. some degree, um, musicians have a taste of that in that they look, they, they might find out what you're being paid hmm. and they think you're being overpaid because hmm. they look up and you see you're playing for two hours. But they don't realise that you're, the you're four hours yeah. travelling to yeah. the gig, you're four Correct. hours going home. And you're practising. You're rehearsing yeah. and, you and know, years. All, all, yeah. all of that yeah. sort of stuff as yeah. well. So I, I can see to some degree. But uh, there, <laughs> there was a spokesperson for the barristers featured on national TV and you couldn't have picked a worse spokesperson because the minute I heard her accent said, oh no. And then she spoke about the 1500 for day one. Yeah. And she didn't properly explain, of course, the amount of work that gets you today Correct. one in terms of Correct. research and stuff Correct. like that. So and I mean, it is, it is, I mean, it's a job. I've done advocacy down the years yeah. and I've been on my feet and I've run cases. And I'll tell you, it is a hugely difficult job to do. To, and to do if you, if you, I mean, even like, for example, coming on the radio here, people often say to me, I should, that must be grand. You just sit down and talk to Fran for 20 minutes. I said, no, you, you actually have to do a lot of work. Mm. You have to do a number of hours work. And if it's, if it's something that you're not familiar, I mean, I mean, I'd be very slow. I mean, okay. A lot of people, uh, they were slagging me last week after uh, talking on three talks, one after the other, that would begin to sound hoarse. And they said, but you'd be well used to talking, sure. But it's not about talking, it's about the information. Yes. And it's about the work that you have to do in order to get to the point where you can speak with confidence on something. And... I mean, no matter how long I'm doing it, I still, as I, somebody was asking me about the breakdown on succession rights, and I said, I have to check it each time because I'm never 100% sure yes. that I can say it Well, the complexity the of it all. Oh, yeah. It's just, but just it's what makes it absolutely fascinating well, as well, of course. For, for, for sure, indeed. Sellers Pack, what were you telling me about this off air? There's a new... It's, this is a really interesting development because you may or may not remember that I've always said that I think the conveyancing process as buying and selling property in Ireland is quite uh, complex and they've been talking and talking and talking about it for years to make it, to try and simplify it and one of the things that they did, they being the powers that be, did over the last number of years is that they front-ended a, a conveyancing transaction, i.e. a sale transaction, by trying to insist that solicitors issued all the paperwork in one go. So so what you used to have is you ha used to have a process of asking questions in advance and then responding to them, and then you, that could go on for weeks. Mm. And then uh, you then sign the contracts or whatever. Now the process is that you put all the documents together in one go, send out the contract and then the purchaser solicitor, the buyer solicitor gets those all in one. So everything is supposed to be done A-OK on the first go out, if you know what I mean. And then you look at it and then you ask your question. So it, it's supposed to kind of condense the process. OK, so what they are now doing is they're now going to move that process back to the very first stage, which is when you go to sell your property. So you decide to sell your property in the morning, go to an auctioneer, and straight away the auctioneer is going to have to prepare what we're calling a seller's pack. And the seller's pack effectively is going to put 
all of the paperwork together and have it available before you even put the property on the market. So it's front-ending mm. all the work. It sounds uh, very logical. Why hasn't that happened up until now, John? Well, it has happened in all... It, where it does happen is, you know, if you're doing online sales yes. and you're buying online, it happens there. Okay. There's a packs that are prepared and ready. Now, it has historically been used to sell you the property warts and all if you know what I mean. So if you're buying from a receiver, by and large, you're, you're doing, you in an awful lot of cases, you can't ask any questions. You're, you take it at warts, whatever whatever the issues are. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it pans out because the, the argument or the logic of it, as you say, makes perfect sense. But if you're putting your house in the mar- market, Fran, and I tell you that it's going to cost you, I don't know, three grand or whatever, you know, pick a figure, it doesn't matter. It's going to cost you all the legal fees up front, all the uh, engineer's fees up front to deal with planning. So everything up front before you even hit the market. And there has always been a reluctance on people to do that. I mean, I've been advocating it for years, saying to people, look, you really should check everything before you put it on the market. And that means because, you see, so many transactions... Uh, I actually, I remember putting together the auctioneers in town here uh, and the, tried to put together the solicitors with a view to trying to rationalise what we're talking about here. And that was the idea, you know, that you front-end everything... But the the argument was, and the the point that was made, which which was valid, i.e., that people are very loath to spend money before they know they have sold the property or can sell it. Right, and you can understand that. Well, you can perfectly understand it. Now, at the moment, there's a total lack of properties out there for sale, yeah. so it it shouldn't be an issue, you would imagine. But the time to find out, like the amount of sales. <clears throat> that are falling through. Now, they say they fall through because of funding, you know, that you lose your loan offer yeah. because there's such a delay. But, like, one of the things I would say that they would need to fix if they're going to sort this is they would need to fix the delay in getting title documents from banks because lending institutions, it could take you six to eight weeks to get the title documents. And they'd be like, there's, <clears throat> there should be no reason for that. So, again and you've often heard me say this, I think anyway, that if you're going to introduce a piece of legislation like this, you need to check to see where the where are the potential problems if you're going to introduce it. Because if you're going to introduce this as mandatory, then what are you going to do about the absolute delays that are going to be there yes. to get title documents for institutions? Because obviously if there is a delay there, you need to do something about making sure that what you're going to do now is front-end the delay, that in other words there could be months delay before you put it in the market because it takes that right. length of time so to get So all these things will have to work, so work you, together. Exactly. Yeah. So you need, yeah. to go, you need to actually make sure that you identify mm. Where are the weak spots in the system that you now need to work on? And I think that's the only cautionary note that I'd, I'd put on it. The the other aspect that is the Planning Act. Uh, yeah, no, I haven't, <coughs> I haven't, <coughs> excuse me, I haven't had a chance to look at the detail of this, but I see, uh, I'm going to flick over if you don't mind, I have a sheet of paper here, mm. and the planning bill that they're pr- proposing, right, it's the third largest bill in the state's history. Yes. So you can imagine now how big that's going to be. And it's a bill, it's it's only a bill at this stage. So mm. it's going to be very interesting to see how it finds its way through. Now, what presumably what they're trying to do, like I, I always have to smile 
at whenever they get hold of a large piece of legislation, they always decide to tinker around with either setting up a new institution or renaming an existing one. I mean, the PRA is now called something else. I don't know what it is now at this stage. But the... Um, the appeals board, they're yes. now going to call Uncommission Planola, so they're going to rename it. Right. Now you this is Board Planola. Yeah, on Board yeah, Planola. Yeah. But it's now the Commission. Commission yes. It's not on board anymore, it's on right. Commission. But anyway, that's that's a small Because thing. that's because there were so many issues with yeah. on board Planola. <laughs> they're trying to clean it out. <laughs> <laughs> but they're, they're now talking about introducing mandatory timelines. Now, one of the biggest uh, problems that you always felt uh, that was the whole timeline you know some you had eight weeks in which the planning authority could could i was going to say delay within which they could deal with it and you often had a situation then that within a further time frame then they could issue queries on your planning application and one often suspected that you had a whole load of planning uh, uh, files sitting in front of somebody and they went, oh, oh that's one's due today. I better issue a, a, a series of queries on it. Now, that could be totally and utterly unfair, mm. but one suspected that that often happened because you're sitting there going, tick, 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 eight weeks, just about to expire, bang, you get the notice for right. further information. But anyway, but I do think that if they are going to, to do something about the planning, they need to be very specific in looking at areas like the timelines and enforcement of timelines. So in other words, that you don't have a planning process. Like at the moment, I think it's it's but possibly a year before you get an appeal out through the on board Planola, which is from a from a commercial point of view is a disaster. And the other side of it of course is that they're looking to limit in some way the number of people can appeal and the grounds for appeal. Now, and again, we all know the scenario where somebody in Donegal, you know, yes, objects yeah. to a planning application. And sometimes and it's out. vexatious as well. Yeah, and sometimes it's yeah, vexatious. Yeah. So there's no harm in reviewing that mm. as long as there's a certain amount of transparency in it. Mm. But the other thing then that used to cause a huge amount of trouble, and I do remember being involved in a couple of planning cases where I actually I dealt with them in the High Court myself, and judicial review, I mean judicial review just drags out a planning process to such an extent that it, it's months and years before mm. something gets but, to but an it's, end. But it's rarely enough you'd have judicial review. Oh no, it's now. quite, Is quite it? common, yeah, quite common on large developments. It's oh, quite oh, common. Right. Okay. You yeah. know, it's quite common that you'd have judicial review. And Who kicks off judicial review, by the it, way? Well, it can be... It, can be kicked off by anybody, but it, normally it's kicked off. Well, you could either be the person making the application and it gets rejected and you JR, okay. or it could be an objector who would JR it. So JR, that's me using the term, but anyway, yes. judicially reviewed. Yes. So it could be an objector. It could be, and they're talking about looking at the whole area of residence associations and what residence associations can object and putting some sort of restrictions around that. Untashka has made submissions on that. They're not too happy about it. But it's also yeah. talking about introducing urban development zones instead of strategic development zones. Now, that's a big change, says you, but anyway. Uh, Can you explain that? Yeah, well, at the moment, there's strategic development zones, which is kind of countrywide, whereas this is an urban one, so it's specific to a local authority. So in theory, the local authority could designate certain areas for development All right, okay. locally. You know, so I thought they could almost yeah, makes, that, yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And the other one then that they're talking about is extending 
the development plans from five years or six years to ten years. So it made it again a fairly pragmatic, practical kind I of suppose, change. Yeah. If memory serves it correct, I think that uh, planning bill. I think it runs to over four hundred pages. Oh yeah. It? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, it's going to be interesting reading. Bed, bed, we'll bed cover time. it. We'll cover it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. John, it's always good to see you. Thanks, no, Thanks very much Thank indeed. Uh, John Lynch of Lynch Solicitors in Clamell. That's it for me. Emma produced. Uh, Ali looked after our content. And Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.